1: This is the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 one Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and it is kind of like having the Rams back <laughs> because uh, our St. Louis team lost 18-3 last night. Now, no offense and uh, defense that really didn't give you an awful lot of opportunities.
4: Oh, come on, Randy. If it was a Rams game, the opposing score would have been much higher. <laughs> yeah,
3: you're right. <laughs> come on. 18-3, to 3, but the Cardinals fall under five hundred twenty-one 21-22. And... 22, and there are some alarming things about the Cardinals that really, if we look at the big scheme of things, and Michelle and I were talking about this before we came on the air, we shouldn't be surprised. But the fact of the matter is, right now, the Cardinals have a half-game lead over Cincinnati in the division. They have a one-game lead over Milwaukee in the division. And they are, within day, by the end of today... The Cardinals could be in a position where they would not make the playoffs.
4: Randy, our show is Sunshine, Lollipops. Sunshine Lollipops.
3: What are you talking about
4: alarming? What's alarming? That the Cardinals allowed 17 runs in the first five innings? Really? Is that alarming? What's alarming? That Flaherty, in two of his last three stars, he's gone three innings or less? Is that alarming yeah. for you? Is it alarming for you that Yadier Molina went to get x-rays on his hand? Alarming? It's
3: baseball stuff.
4: The state of the bullpen? Is that alarming for you?
3: Well, yeah, that is. The inconsistent
4: (laughs) offense? Is that that, alarming? That is
3: not exactly a sunshine lollipops note, the the bullpen. Uh, Yachty did get hit by a uh, a swing last night in a game against Milwaukee. It was really an interesting chain of events that led to the benches clearing. Here we are in a pandemic, a global pandemic, where nearly 200,000 people have died, and we've got a situation where baseball has these protocols in place they say okay maintain composure mm-hmm. don't get into mm-hmm. situations well sometimes there are situations that make you lose your temper and last night against the brewers Yadier Molina set up behind home plate and the Cardinals inching towards losing 18 to 3 that's the worst part about it is you're getting <laughs> killed there's really Just no killed. good reason for Yadier Molina to, eat, to even be in the game this is why They got into the late innings and they only had one position player available from the bench. That was Matt Wieters. Why, why do you have 9 million pitchers and then 10 position players? It makes no sense, but anyway, without Andrew Kisner available and with Matt Wieters as being your only bench player, here's what happened to Yachty.
5: Now the benches have cleared as words were exchanged as we were showing the replay. Dottie don't play. telling you.
4: The benches are clearing. The the bullpen guys are out. Everyone's getting... I'm giving you the play-by-play as I watch the video here since there's no sound. Everyone's yelling. The crowd's going crazy. Mike Schilt, very, very furious. And I... I had two schools of thought as this was happening. One this is a team that battled COVID. Maybe we, sh- maybe we yep. shouldn't be getting this Especially close. in Milwaukee. Especially in Milwaukee. Then they're going back to the Fister Hotel. Yep. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? But then number two, I loved Mike Schilt sticking up for his guy. I loved that he heard something come out of the Milwaukee dugout and it didn't yeah. sit right with him, and he let them know that.
3: Hold me back. Hold me back.
4: Hold him back. You saw Jed Jerko getting in there, yep. separating everybody. Yachty up in the mix, which, by the way, if Yachty's coming over, I would be afraid if I was the Brewers. Wouldn't want to mm-hmm. deal with that. But... Mike Schilt does have this fiery side of him. We saw that thanks to Randy Rosarena yeah. during the postseason last year. But when it comes out of it, it's he's, have you ever seen the show Randy Snapped? I think it's on, I have, yeah. you know, like TLC or something. It's about women when their husbands push them, push them, push them, and then they snap and they kill yeah. them. And not that Mike Schultz is going to kill anybody, but he's just such a positive guy. He's so pragmatic. Mm -hmm. He's so respectful all the time. But it seems like when he takes it to the next level, boom, it happens so quick.
3: Let's just pick a random brewer that would be on the bench, like Christian Yellich. Okay, yeah. Okay, you're just sitting there on the bench, minding your own business, and you see Mike Schultz with his mask and his glasses, and he's like (laughs) 50 years old. You see him approaching your dugout, and you see the neck-tatted... Angry-looking Yachty or Molina. Who are you more concerned about?
4: I think it, well, rational people would say it's Yachty. But in yeah. that moment, he might have an injured hand. And right. Mike Schilt, I think, might have a little bit of Randy Carricker rage blackout going.
3: Here is Mike Schilt on what happened. I don't know where the insult came from. I
6: don't know. what. I, I feel like it was more directed to me, quite honestly. You know, I, I did I do anything to, to warrant it, perhaps? I mean, I, I was staring in the dugout. I will accept that it was, you know, with the mask on, it's hard to really appreciate what people are really intending. You can hear, I can hear great though. My, my hearing doesn't suffer at all with the mask on, but I did. I stared at the dugout. I mean, I can't, I can't be happy with the fact that, you know, and, and look, Broncos has been in this league a long time. He's a good player. He's a really good player. You know, he's had nice series against us. I'm not, and I want to make sure this is clear. There is no allegations against Ryan Braun necessarily. It just didn't look good. It's a second catching appearance of a guy that's caught since June the 5th, I think, of 2004 when he made his debut. It just didn't look good when the, when a little bit of conversation took place prior to it. And if you pay attention to it, there was a conversation prior to it. And I'm sure you have. It just didn't look good. And at that point, you think I'm gonna accept that? No. You take the high road, there was a look in the dugout, there was something said, and at that point, all bets are all. Chiltie's still fired up?
4: I'm He's fired salty. up. Are you not fired up <laughs> yeah. by that? All, we need that drop, Scotty. All,
7: <laughs> all bets, bets are, are off. off.
4: I love what he said, no. <laughs> Am I going to accept that? No. no. That's but pretty awesome. You know what? Aren't we used to allegations against Ryan Braun, though?
3: Yeah, not tonight, but yeah, we've had a few. All bets are all. That's right.
4: Yeah. You know that's a little Craig. That's a that's a little Craig Barubi chiefish, right there. It is. All bets are off.
3: Now the Cardinals need to win their last game against the Brewers. They've uh, they, they split the first one. They obviously lost last night. Split the doubleheader. One other doubleheader today. And this is, I thought coming in, the Cardinals, if they go three out of five against the Brewers, that they would be fine. So now all you have to do is sweep a doubleheader and you'll be fine. Oh, that's all? Yeah. Okay, great. I'll be a happy camper. Meanwhile, Michelle, last night in the NBA, the Denver Nuggets, boo.
4: Boo. The worst.
3: Yeah, they advanced with a victory in game seven over the Los Angeles Clippers, 104-89. We all know the story of the Clippers this year with the acquisitions of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The Clippers were up in this series, Michelle, three games to one. They had leads of 16 points in Game 5, 19 points in Game 6, and 12 points last night in Game 7. In each of the three elimination games, they had a double-digit lead and lost. And I thought it was notable after the game... Doc Rivers, who's been a longtime coach of the Clippers and obviously has a championship with Boston back in 2008, he said, hey, this one's on me. Every coach is going to do that. Every rational, reasonable coach is going to put it on himself. But Kawhi Leonard, who has two championships under his belt and does have an opt-out after next season, said after the game, quote, We just couldn't make no shots. That's when it comes to team chemistry. Knowing what we should run to get the ball in spots or just if someone's getting doubled or they're packing the paint, trying to make other guys make shots. And we got to know what exact spots we need to be. And, you know, just got to carry over and get smarter as a team. Get smarter. Basketball IQ got to get better. Those things that Kawhi Leonard said, I think I was reading between the lines, were shots at Doc Rivers and his coaching staff.
4: This one from Lou Williams, too. We had championship expectations. We had the talent to do it. We didn't have the chemistry to do it.
3: And chemistry is a product, generally, of a coach. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the players have to like each other. You have to have a group that is cohesive on the court and off the court. But it sounded to me like what the players were talking about is on-court chemistry, which is something that generally is fostered by a head coach.
4: Or if it's not there, a coach needs to get guys to put things aside and focus on the task at hand.
3: Right. And by the way, at the end of the game, ESPN did show our favorite Enos Kroenke actually there in the bubble watching his team win Game 7.
1: You are a factory of sadness!
3: Yeah, we wish. So, But now they're in the uh, Western Conference Finals. The Nuggets are for the first time in 11 years. And they'll get smoked by the Lakers in four. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Go LeBron.
4: Go LeBron. We are all... We're Team LeBron anyway. Yeah. But now we're definitely Team LeBron. Um, but yeah, man, a 3-1 lead. Never safe.
3: No. Well, not with Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers has had 3 leads in the playoffs and blown them. Six other times he's been up 3-2 in the playoffs and blown the leads. That's another reason that if you're Steve Ballmer and you paid $9 billion for the franchise and you're building a new arena, you might say, you know what? I need to look at the other coaching possibilities out there. Maybe Not necessarily fire Doc, but at least look at other possibilities.
4: Is there anyone that comes to mind that you think would be better than because Doc Rivers is an amazing coach despite all those stats and despite sitting here this morning with the Clippers being bounced. Would
3: you be intrigued by Jay Wright in oh. LA?
4: Hmm. I Yes. And maybe because I'm looking at Brad Stevens uh-huh. and wondering if that path might work there. Yeah with Jay Wright.
3: Yeah, he he gets the most out of his teams. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Hockey last night, our friend Pat Maroon couldn't close. Him alone. He just couldn't close out the Islanders. Islanders win in double overtime, so they force game six against the Lightning. Lightning are still going to the Stanley Cup Finals. And uh, they lead
4: the series three, too.
3: Yeah, they're they're fine. That's...
4: Which, after what we just said about the Clippers, maybe we shouldn't be so confident. <laughs> right. But, you know, it goes to overtime. I just assume pa- Maroon. Patty Maroon's going to come up that, uh,
3: huge. That's what I was thinking. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN, Jack Flaherty has had a couple of bad starts in a row. Ooh, should we be worried? Should we be on the panic bus? Randy's
4: that's, shaking. That's nice.
3: are shaking yeah.
1: on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN, and it was not a great night for Jack Flaherty last night in Milwaukee. He went only three innings. He allowed nine runs on eight hits. He walked a couple. He struck out six Threw 81 pitches and obviously took the loss. Two of his last three starts, he's gone three innings or less. And last night, obviously, the worst start of his career. His earned run average on the season goes from 3.08 to 552 and the question becomes, and we want you to weigh in, you can use a mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. That's the Rhino Shield mic drop. Easy to use with, when you download the 101 ESPN app, or you can text us 65780 to the Air Comfort Service text line. Is there concern about Jack Flaherty because of this three-start period in which he has not pitched like he did last season when he had no point eight seven ERA in the second half of the year? I got to admit, That I am certainly a bigger picture looker than three starts or three appearances by a pitcher. And his stuff hasn't changed dramatically. So, Michelle, I am not really concerned about Flaherty. But it seems like Cardinal Nation, at least social media Cardinal Nation, appears to be bothered by these three starts.
4: Well, if you look back to that start in Chicago, that Friday night start in Chicago, I believe it was the end of August, middle, middle August, end of August, I was worried about him then because he just didn't look like himself. I even wondered if he was injured at that time, but obviously he wasn't, and thank goodness for that. But he just seemed off. There seemed to be something off that night. Then he came back, looked a little sharper, but he's been on a pitch count. The Cardinals have been trying to protect him. So I was withholding judgment really on Jack Flaherty because I knew that he wasn't fully unleashed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're on a pitch count while the team's trying to protect you, you're trying to protect yourself. It might be something that you're thinking about. I don't really know how it affects you. But to see him yesterday it certainly was not encouraging for fans it wasn't encouraging for the Cardinals and while I'm not concerned about him because I look at his career in totality he's in a funk
3: yeah he this three game stretch certainly has not been what the Cardinals expect from Jack Flaherty we always expect him to be great but That's what, uh, as uh, Ron Washington so famously said, that's how baseball go. That happens to people. And it's interesting. If you look at Garrett Cole, who signed the $324 million contract with the Yankees and leads the American League in home runs allowed. He's in a funk. He's not pitching as well as he ever has. We've seen it with Clayton Kershaw. We saw it with Ron Guidry. We see it pretty much with every single pitcher. They're going to go through stretches. Age 24 season, this guy had a three-game stretch where he threw 15 and a third, allowed 10 earned runs, and walked five in his age 24 season season. He was terrible for a three-start stretch. His name was Chris Carpenter. Oh, okay. So it happens. Uh, It happened to Garrett Cole in his age 24 season. It happens to a lot of guys. Didn't happen to Greg Maddox, but a lot of really good pitchers go through this sort of a stretch. And I'm more inclined to look at uh, the second half of a normal season last year than this snapshot where you've had the COVID break and clearly... they haven't let Jack do what he wants to do. Jack is a guy. He's a horse. He wants to go out there right. and be the man. And right now, this is a horse that's reined into the paddock. He's uh, He would love to throw 110 pitches, and they max him out at about 80.
4: When you just said the COVID break, I think we do need to rewind. When they first came back from this COVID outbreak, what was the sentiment, Randy? What did we say about this team? Yeah,
3: it's You know what? We're happy to have baseball and... Based on where the Cardinals are and everybody else is, the Cardinals really did start spring training day one with a game (laughs) against the White Sox. And it was unfair, unreasonable to have big expectations for this team.
4: It really was. And we just said, hey, we're pumped to have baseball back. We're going to take it in any way that we can get it. And because it's a weird year and because we're in September and because we're getting close to the postseason— I think we're forgetting how quickly we arrived here from when the Cardinals were locked in a a hotel room in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And because they've had some success and we've seen the peaks and, and the pits, we get our hopes up and then they sink back down. But... We You actually need to look at all the context surrounding things, not only with just Jack Flaherty, but with the team in general. I think because they had some success and because we know what this team would be capable of in a normal season, the expectations have skyrocketed, but you still have to think about everything that they're dealing with.
3: Text from the 618. Flaherty is done. Whoa Needs to change things up more. they figured him out. If they make it to a three-game playoff series, I've got Wainwright, KK, and Hudson. Put Flaherty in the bullpen as a fireman. He's done.
4: Does this make you any less eager to sign him?
3: Well, they've got control for four years. No, the, a three-game stretches. You know what? If the Cardinals could sign him to a six-year contract today and I was them, I would do it. So would I. Uh, here's another one. Maybe we, he should concentrate on pitching instead of being a social justice warrior. I got that tweet You did? I did. Somebody last night sent it. Michelle, are you aware that between 2005 and 2011 in St. Louis, Albert Pujols had the Albert Pujols Foundation that he worked with several times a week, went to the office over at Westport, Mm -hmm. had a golf tournament every year that he played in, had other events that he participated in during the season, and gave you a half dozen of the best years of baseball you've ever seen? Are you aware (laughs) that Matt Holliday spent lots of time visiting kids at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. As a matter of fact, he cost himself some sleep by, after hitting his 400th home run, he took a ball to a kid. He wasn't concentrating on baseball. He was concentrating on things to help other people in the world. Are you aware that Tony La Russa, pretty much every single day as the Cardinal manager, wasn't thinking about baseball all the time? He was in the office a lot. But Tony La Russa has this thing called ARF mm-hmm. that might be bigger for him than baseball. Animal, Tony La Russa's Animal Rescue Foundation. And pretty much every day, Tony was either working the phones or talking to people on the opposition or talking with people around his club, getting items for auctions so that he could raise money for the Animal Rescue Foundation. Tony was doing that. I, yesterday, Michelle, did not concentrate on this show. I, was out, I played golf with the, the former Cardinal Stan Royer, had a great time over at Fox Run. I did not concentrate on this show. You
4: didn't? What I, are you
3: doing, Randy? I am what I call a multitasker. And I can not only tweet things out at night in 10 minutes on my phone, but I can play golf and concentrate on doing this show. Jack Flaherty's a smart guy. He can do more than just tweet for 10 seconds.
4: Oh, wait, you're telling me that these baseball players are actually multifaceted human beings yeah. that can have interests and do positive things for their community or causes that are important to them outside baseball? You're Adam,
3: telling me that's possible? I, I'll go back and check the texts. <laughs> Adam Wainwright was on with the Fast Lane yesterday talking about big league impact, talking right. about playing fantasy football, being involved in a, in a fantasy football draft. I will go back through our texts and see if there were any texts at all about how Adam Wainwright should concentrate on baseball, not so much about being involved with the Adam Wainwright uh, Big League Impact Foundation and playing fantasy football. I'll, I'll see if I can find a text that says he should concentrate more on baseball.
4: I don't think we got any of those. I think if we go back, it's how do I get involved?
3: <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> here's, here's one of them. Does Waino get a statue?
1: That's,
4: <laughs> that's one of them. Just wait, I'll get a stat.
1: Actually, yeah. that's
4: a good question. Does he?
1: I kind of think he probably does.
4: What if it's one Wainwright throwing to Molina?
3: That'd be pretty fun. Wait, I think Yadi. I think because they've taken care of the Hall of Famers, I believe Yadi gets one because I think he gets into the Hall of Fame. Adam would be an interesting case study because he's among the two or three best starting pitchers in Cardinal history. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to make the Baseball Hall of Fame, I don't think. So that'll be an interesting case study. And uh, I'm I'm looking through these texts, and I don't see a single one asking, uh, or saying that Wainwright should be more concentrating more on baseball than on big league impact. So, just just saying, just
4: but maybe it's because it, Randy it, they they like that cause and they like fantasy football, that, that so that doesn't be. upset them.
3: That okay, good point. You know, yeah, that's fair.
4: Fantasy football doesn't really anger a lot of people.
3: No, it doesn't. I'm not planning it this year, but it doesn't. But you know what? Doing things to try to improve society doesn't really bother me either. Me either. So, whatever.
4: But Adam Wainwright is having a phenomenal year.
3: He is. He is certainly not affected by doing things other than just concentrating on his next start.
4: And I don't want to assume that that because Jack Flaherty is a multifaceted person that it's affecting him out on the mound.
3: I don't think so. I think that he's capable. You know what? He cared as much about social justice and doing things outside of baseball in the second half last year. He did. And he's a huge Laker fan. He he pays attention to other sports. He's not waking up in the morning. He's not waking up this morning thinking, oh, man, what about my next start? I don't think. I think he's capable. I think he's got a a mind where he can compartmentalize and place different things in his brain in different spots. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Next up, the Major League Baseball front office has put their bubble plan into place, and we're going to tell you where the Cardinals are going to wind up if they make the playoffs next on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the Carragher and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle, we thought,
3: because there have been reports that Major League Baseball would institute a bubble And they officially released their plans for the bubble yesterday. It'll be the first World Series played entirely at one site since 1944, when the Cardinals beat the Browns in six games at Sportsman's Park. MLB hopes to be allowed to have about 25% capacity for the games in Arlington, Texas, where total capacity is about 40,000. And uh, the way it's going to work, the higher-seeded clubs are going to host to the lower-seeded clubs in the best of three in the first round. And then they're going to move to either Arlington, Texas, Texas, or Petco Park, or Dodger Stadium, or Minute Maid Park in Houston. The American League is going to be in San Diego and Dodger Stadium. The National League is going to be in Fort uh, Dallas-Fort Worth and in Houston. So what do you think of the bubble format? I, I'll say off the bat, I like the idea of having a lot less travel.
4: I agree. And I think it's a smart decision by Major League Baseball. When you look at the NHL and the NBA, clearly the bubble format works. Zero positive tests out of either of the bubbles from those two sports. And if you're baseball and you've gotten to this point and you have all of that television revenue on the table and you have your championship after a pretty rough season on the table, why would you want to do anything to possibly disrupt that? If someone would test positive and you're in the postseason, that would be a nightmare for Major Mm -hmm. League Baseball. So I think having a bubble approach is very smart. Just protect these players at
3: all costs. One thing I like about this plan that we normally don't have in the postseason, baseball is an everyday game. Teams normally have one day off a week in the baseball playoffs, teams will get two or three days off during a series and allow you to use sometimes three, but usually four, but no more than four starting pitchers. In this scenario, with no days off, teams are going to have to have depth of starting pitching. They're going to have to utilize a five-man rotation at some point, whether it be in the first couple of rounds or in the DS. Well, if you're going to make it, to the National League Division Series. At the very least, you'll use your one and two starters in games in two games of that series. Then have a day off because somebody else would have to go three. But then you have to go three days in a row, at least in the next series. So I I like the idea of the regular season philosophy being implemented during the postseason.
4: I do too. And under normal circumstances, if things weren't so precarious right now, you would say that's a situation that might benefit the Cardinals.
3: Yeah, but... You can't do it without a bullpen. That's right. You (laughs) can't. That's our problem. Now, as far as the bubble is, well, let's go back to the World Series. Okay. Are you cool with the World Series being in one site? This is something that Whitey Herzog advocated back in the 80s. He said, we're the only sport, not the only sport, he said what we should do to increase popularity and revenue is play the World Series down in New Orleans. Have a seven-day festival down there, just like Super Bowl week, and That way we can avoid the weather hassles of cities like St. Louis or New York or Chicago when he was managing the White Sox, made the playoffs a couple of times. So what do you think of the World Series being played in one spot?
4: For this season, I love it. But as someone who's had... Amazing World Series moments here in my backyard. I don't like it in a normal season. And maybe that's because we're in St. Louis and we have been so blessed to be able to go to these moments. But I think about David Free's game six Mm -hmm. and what that would have been like at a neutral site. And I think about what that would have been like if it wasn't a sea of red in that moment. And it would be different. It would be absolutely different.
3: And there is something to be to to be at a game It enhances your memories, I believe, when you're bundled up for a postseason baseball game. Yeah. Uh,
4: It's another challenge for a team, too, depending on where they play.
3: yeah. Because, obviously, it's cold. So I I have no problem with it this year either. I don't think that baseball will implement a permanent neutral site World Series. But for this year, it's stupid that they're having it at Globe Life Park in Arlington. It looks like a terrible stadium. It does. But at least they're, they're doing it. And one of the reasons that I believe they're doing the American League Division Series in National League Parks and vice versa... I don't think they want the Dodgers to be able to have essentially home field advantage by playing in Dodger Stadium.
4: Exactly. They're just trying to eliminate that at all costs. Because you could understand how people from whichever team might be upset if that was the case.
3: Now... Another part of this is that they the bubble is going to include family members, spouses, domestic partners, children, and child care providers can stay with players during the transition period. And people other than players may not take family to the transition hotel or on the road. Family members won't be allowed into the bubble hotels at the four sites unless they complete a supervised seven-day quarantine. So they're doing the same thing that hockey has done at least since they got first the, past the first couple of rounds, and that basketball has done. And once teams get knocked out, it'll be a lot easier for you.
4: If you're a family member, would you want to do the seven-day quarantine to be there for the experience and support your someone in your family that you love and care about and maybe provide some comfort for them or think, man, I'm going to lug all this stuff here. I'm going to sit here for seven days, and then you could get bounced pretty Right,
3: early. and potentially be there for five and a half weeks. That's a lot. Especially if you have kids, even if they're learning – virtually which a lot of kids are mm-hmm. man that would be a hassle to have if you have four kids like adam does have them each well i guess the baby doesn't need to be but you'd have three daughters essentially in a hotel suite trying to do stuff
4: well, and think about all of the things a baby needs like, yeah, right. on a day-to-day basis and you'd have to travel and bring all of that there you'd need a u-haul to get all their stuff there
3: yeah finally ten thousand fans in a ballpark They obviously have to be socially distanced. Baseball wants to generate some revenue. We saw last week with the Chiefs. The Chiefs are shooting for $350 a ticket. Heck, postseason baseball tickets are expensive anyway, right? Mm -hmm. They're about a grand. So baseball is going to be able to make some revenue and at the very least take care of some of their sponsors that have stuck with them. Get them down to Dallas-Fort Worth, show them a good time, have them party, and then be at a game or two.
4: Are you surprised by this, though, because they're taking such extreme measures to protect the players? They're making the families quarantine, but then they're going to let people into the stadium, even though they're wearing masks. It just seems a little counterintuitive based on all the measures they're going through to make this bubble work.
3: It is counterintuitive. It's a cost risk benefit that they're going through because at the end of the day, what's more important to them? preserving their sponsorships and the tens of millions of dollars or a couple of people in the stands and maybe a player getting COVID-19. The most important thing to them is the money. They'll take that chance of people not winding up testing positive or being hospitalized because of the disease. Baseball will take that chance for the money. It's basically a bet. They're betting that people don't get sick.
4: Or if they do, the World Series is over by then.
3: Right, right, exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the air comfort service. Text line 65780. It's a little game of take it or leave
1: it coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line
3: 65780. It's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And Michelle, I'll get things started. A few years ago, when the Rams were still in St. Louis, the NFL came to an agreement with Enos Kroenke in which he agreed to cede control of and give up ownership of the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche because owning those teams violated the NFL's cross-ownership rules. You couldn't own teams in separate markets. So, for example, he couldn't own a team in St. Louis or Los Angeles, for that matter, and couldn't own teams in Denver. Last night, owner Stan Kroenke watched Game 7 of the NBA Conference semifinals for his Denver Nuggets with the little Chiron underneath that said uh, Stan Kroenke, owner Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. Uh Take it or leave it. Even though Roger Goodell says we are a league of rules, the league's rules don't apply to Enos.
8: Oh,
4: for sure take it. 100% take it.
3: That one was the first warning shot that we should have seen is He agreed to sell the franchise, give up control, and yet on the team's websites, his name as owner of those franchises never left. They
1: couldn't care less about
3: their rules as long as the guy had $13 billion and was willing to build him a stadium.
4: I was just going to say, at that point, did they already know that he was going to finance the stadium and that he was going to buy the land? So, of course, it wasn't a big deal for them. Yeah. So annoying. Oh, go Lakers. Yeah, right. (laughs) Go Lakers. Go LeBron. All right, Randy, we talked at 7.15 about Jack Flaherty, last three starts. Not ideal, not mm-hmm. ideal. You said you're not worried about Jack Flaherty, oh. right? Take it or leave it. He has another bad outing, and you will be on the panic bus.
3: His next start? I I'll take that he will have at some point another bad outing, and I will leave that he will be on the panic bus. There have been guys that have gotten off to good starts in their careers, where you say, okay, this isn't really real. Like Kent Bottenfield when he won the 18 games for the Cardinals in uh, 1999. You could just see that wasn't real. But Flaherty's stuff is real. And so, no, I'm not worried about him being great. And I, I see the, the, some of the, uh, I don't know if they're amateur or not, but some of the uh, the experts on the text line saying that he's tipping his pitches. Well, he's on Twitter all the time. Tell him. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Let him know what <laughs> yeah. you're seeing. Yeah.
3: So uh, I, I'm not worried about the guy. He's going to be great.
4: And, you know, don't you think that maybe Yachty would identify that or maybe Jimmy in the booth mm-hmm. might with Dan, they you might see something. I think that might happen. You know, somebody yeah. might say, hey, I'm I'm noticing something. Yeah. The other team can find it. I'm sure that a member of the Cardinal staff might be able to see it too.
3: I don't know if uh, I, I've told this story, but 2001, J.D. Drew, it's a home run on a Randy Johnson 98-mile-an-hour fastball. Left-handed Andy J- J- J.D. Drew, who never hit left-handers. And it was because Jim Edmonds recognized that Randy Johnson was tipping his pitches. And, everybody, and the Cardinals just hammered Randy Johnson one night because they found out what he was doing wrong. And what was the other one? Who walked in? I think it was John, John Axford. When the Cardinals got him, uh, he walked into the Cardinal clubhouse. And the first thing that I think Dunk did, I think it was Dunk, Made him been liloquist, walked up to him and said hey we got you you're fine you're tipping your pitches and he was brilliant for them down the stretch wow yeah
4: Jim is Jimmy Edmonds man he is a savant he really is he cracks the Da Vinci code he's like Dan Brown
9: (laughs) all right Scotty what do you got for us from the 618 take it or leave it Big Ten football, foot, starting in mid. Uh, let's start over here. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, that's a. Right, yeah, buddy. that was a stumble. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, six one eight, take it or leave it. The Big Ten plays football starting in mid October. Take it. Take it. Michelle, uh, take it or leave it. An eight and O Ohio State
3: team is in the Final Four. I'll take that. I will too. And even though the other teams are going to play, SEC plays nine, right? They play their division plus two others. So 8-0, 9-0, big deal. So, yeah, that's fine. It's just, it's 2020.
4: Take it or leave it. If Ohio State goes 8-0, you want to see them in the playoff.
3: Oh, I'll take that. And uh, one more. Take it or leave it. I guess we can't take that and say that Harbaugh finally beats Ohio State this year.
4: Oh, no. I'm going to leave that.
3: But let's do this one. Uh, take it or leave it. When the Big Ten schedule comes out, Ohio State and Michigan play.
9: Take it. Okay, I'll take it too. This one from the 417. Take, or, take it or leave it. The Cardinals should call Dylan Carlson back up. I'll take that. Take it. Why not?
4: Give him the reps.
3: They're closing the the alternate site later this week. So he's not going to have anything to do. So you might as well call him up for the last week and a half of the season. What the heck? Just have him around.
4: I have one more. Michigan, Ohio State. Okay. Take it or leave it. If Ohio State beats Michigan again this year, Harbaugh, not hot seat. Pandemic excuse.
3: Pandemic excuse, yeah, I'll take it. The Jim Harbaugh's biggest problem is that he couldn't beat one of the two best college football coaches of his era and two in Urban Meyer.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Urban Meyer won 90% of his games. Nobody beat Urban Meyer. He's outstanding. Yeah. So that's the biggest problem that Harbaugh ran into. Now if, if, he, runs, beat Ryan Day, if he runs into the same problems with Ryan Day, once things are back to normal, then it's all bets are off. But still, I, I think you have to put it in perspective. Michigan, you are what you are. There's nothing wrong with going 10-2 and two every year and going to a great bowl game. There's nothing wrong with that.
4: If you're Michigan, that is not good enough. No,
3: it's not. It but is not,
4: if, especially if your it, rival, well, the, your hated the, rival is better than you. The
3: loss is to Ohio State, but sometimes... And I know Dan Deerdorf is listening because he does every day. But sometimes, as you say, Michelle, you have to read the room and understand what you are. And the fact of the matter is right now, Ohio State's just a better program. They are. You have to accept that. That's kind of like when Mizzou was in the same... Well, Mizzou's... In, they, they've actually beaten Georgia, so that's not fair. But when Mizzou was playing Oklahoma every year, it's Mizzou... And this was when Mizzou was good. They still couldn't beat Oklahoma.
4: But I think that the Mizzou-Oklahoma comparison is a little different because this is Michigan football. This is a team that regardless of who is playing, because of the laundry, because of the lineage, because of who they are, their place in college football, they will always have those expectations, and rightfully so.
3: But yes, you're you're 100% right. They'll have those expectations. The question is, are they fair? Because what coach are you going to bring in outside of Nick Saban that's going to beat Urban Meyer on a regular basis?
4: that's a good question but I would think if Harbaugh can't get it done versus Ryan Day Michigan's going to start to panic and think we've got to make a change then here. it's a
3: different animal
9: and LSU had the same problem with uh, Les Miles yep. and Nick Saban right. and when they brought in Coach O I was like oh my gosh what, what are we it's okay Les Miles is still winning 10 games a year but he couldn't beat Saban right went to Kansas now he can't beat Coastal Carolina <laughs> this one from the 636 take it or leave it by week 5 OBJ will be a Patriot oh, I'm going to leave that I'm going to leave
4: it too but that yeah. would be fun
9: yeah, wouldn't that be something? I
3: do you think OBJ might be a little bit overrated? Yeah. I mean it, it when's the last time he was great?
4: It's the curse of the poster. He has that yeah. one amazing catch, and then everyone expects you to be that guy week in and week out.
3: Yeah. I would I'm never surprised by who New England takes, but I would be surprised if the Browns, and they've had a lot of interactions over the years, the Browns and the Patriots have, but I would be surprised if the Browns would move him to New England.
9: This one comes from the 314. Take it or leave it if you've been working from home for the last nine months, you need to retake the driver license test. Yeah, I think that's a good idea.
4: I think well, you should have to retake it every few years anyway.
9: Yeah.
3: Especially once, and I'm getting there, once you reach about 70, you should have to take it every year. Every year? Yep.
4: I would, I would be down with that.
3: Yeah, I, I have no problem with it. That'd be 12 years for me. But I I don't think I've taken a driver's test since I was 16. I haven't. So, yeah, that should be a necessity. Yeah.
4: What do you think? Every two years? Every five years? I think
3: every five years is fair. I think cognitively, we probably lose a little bit as we get to our 50s and 60s. And some people just get dumber.
4: And I worry about technology in cars.
3: Right. I do, too. Holy cow.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, if you uh, you need to take that test with the with the thought of maybe not getting it, like yeah. the fear of not passing the test might make you be a uh, a more aware driver.
3: That's the thing. That's a great way to put it because I believe that I my car drives. I don't drive it. I I am just so out of it while I drive so many times, I think there should be something that forces me to think about driving while I'm driving a little bit more. Because most of the reasons that people have accidents are because they're distracted, right? Yeah. So I think there should be things that force us to care a little bit more as we're driving.
4: So whenever I get in my car, I plug in my phone, I put it in the, the cup holder. Good idea. Ten and two, go, go home, right? I This is a game I play almost every day. When I get to a stoplight, I look around. Every every single head is down.
3: Yep. Yeah, it's amazing.
4: By the way, I recently watched a documentary called The Social Dilemma Mm -hmm. on Netflix. Highly recommend about social media and our phones and the intentional addictive behavior that these programmers have implanted into our brains and the dissemination of information and how... Do you know that you and I could Google the exact same thing word for word and we get different search results? We'll
3: have to do that during a break.
4: Yeah, we should. But anyway, it's made me very much want to stay away from my phone, but now I'm looking around and everyone, stoplight, looking down. I want to throw this thing out the window, Randy.
3: I'm thinking about... And I haven't done it yet because kind of for work, I have to have like the... I'm going to go back to my BlackBerry at some point. Some point very soon, I'm going back to my BlackBerry flip phone, which has texting ability, but I can't, it's an old one. It's like eight years old and they don't make Blackberries anymore. I still have it, but I don't want to have social media on my phone.
4: If I didn't have, I've said this before, if I didn't have this job, I would delete social media. It does not really serve me in any way.
9: Randy it's a great idea because if you uh, have a BlackBerry you probably aren't getting like group texts or something it's the easiest out for anything. Oh sorry didn't see it. Yeah. Well <laughs> it's it's got
3: texting ability but and there are things like I've got a thing from State Farm like a safe driver discount which I probably do a really bad on by the way. <laughs> But that's part of my phone. The Schnooks Rewards app. I have to have that. Okay, yeah.
4: This is a fun exercise. What app could you not live without right. if you went to a, a flip phone? My,
3: my Weber iGrill. I use that all the time. That's really important to me. Uh, Fox Sports Go is really important to me. Walgreens. i uh, On a regular basis, I have to pick up prescriptions and I get them through the Walgreens app. There's just tons oh. of apps that... You really can't live without. You
4: know, for me, it would be the 101 ESPN app.
3: That's a very how, important one. How
4: am I going to stream the you, other shows while I'm working out if I don't have right. the app on my phone?
3: You can download that free. It's free. On your smartphone. So, yeah, my USGA, my uh, my app for keeping my, uh, my handicap is there. The all-important FanDuel app, the FanDuel uh, Paradise Sports app. Is-
4: hey, I did FanDuel for the first time over the weekend. I was in first place most of the mm-hmm. day. Thank you, Cam Newton. But did, then I sunk to fourth.
3: Did, oh, I was just going to ask, I, I were you in the money? I know, no, so, I wasn't. So the, Okay, so your number one. Number one app that
9: you cannot afford to live without. Scotty? We, uh, for me, it's easy. It's Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. Okay.
4: For me, without a doubt, it's Spotify. I have really? to listen to music when I work out, and I need it to be a certain playlist. If I didn't have Spotify, I might be obese. <laughs> True story. I would not work out if I didn't have music.
3: I use Twitter the most, but I think I can live without Twitter. The, I would say the one that I probably, and I'm zipping through here, the the, the one that I probably need the most is Probably
9: that Weber Eye Grill one. <laughs> Pretty important. <laughs> Maybe my bank app because I like pay my credit that's, card really quick. That's important too. I
4: also like the podcast app. And yeah. by the way, new Small Talk coming tomorrow with Chris Long, which you can oh, find on the podcast app. Download it.
3: Awesome. Anywhere you look for or find, <laughs> there we go. Any, anywhere you look for or find uh, your favorite podcast, you can find Small Talk in tomorrow's. Is with Chris Long. It drops tomorrow. Yeah.
1: Coming up, we're going to talk to Edmund El. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: 802 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, And a day that many St. Louisans have been waiting for for some time is upon us tomorrow. Uh, actually, today at 10 o'clock, you'll be able to uh, become a person that has a deposit in for tickets for St. Louis City SC. Edmund Elzey is the Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for St. Louis City, and he joins us now on 101 ESPN. Edmund, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing?
7: Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
3: All right, we're just a couple of hours away. I would imagine that you're expecting overwhelming response.
7: Yeah, we're really excited. Uh, The response just anecdotally, it's been amazing uh, just talking to people around the city. They're really excited. Uh, just a few weeks ago, when we put out our marketing, uh, so many people were on the website. I think we heard we had about 20,000 people just respond to the marketing that we're going to have a deposit campaign. So it's, it's really exciting. Uh, we expect a big response uh, today. And, um, you know, my recommendation to everybody is that if they want tickets, they should try to get in at 10 a.m. as close as they can, and, and go from there. And where do they go
3: so that they can get in as quickly as they can?
7: Yeah, so these go to our homepage, which is uh, stlcitysc.com, and it'll be a big button. It'll be really, really easy. they will say place a deposit, and you just click that button, and all the options that we'll have uh, will be there. There'll be four different options. You'll see there's two $50 deposits. One is for supporters. Which is our, our crazy fans that want to stand all game, they want to make noise, bang the drum, all that good stuff, and just really have a good time. Uh, the other fifty dollars options for the reserve seating, so that's your more traditional stadium seating. We also have a hundred dollar deposit, which is a uh, for premium seating, which includes a all inclusive food and drink options, and then we also have a suite deposit, which is twenty five hundred bucks, but that's for for businesses who are looking for a suite the whole entire year. And um, you know, you'll be able to purchase any one of those four options. At 10 a.m., the deposit's refundable, so there's really no risk if, you know, if you think you may change your mind if you don't get a ticket. Like, all this is is getting you in line, and this is the opportunity that's going to open up here in a few hours.
4: Edmund Randy and I are going to be popping on that website as soon as we're done with the show here. We hope that we get in. But you (laughs) um, were an exciting hire for St. Louis City SC. I know a lot of fans were really thrilled to see your name be announced. It's been really cool to see the organization build this front office in real time. But for those who aren't aware of you and your background, can you give us a little bit of background so that the fans can get to know you a little bit? What did you do in your career before you landed with St. Louis City SC?
7: Yeah, so I've been to St. I've been in St. Louis actually about two weeks now. I uh, was working a little bit virtually. I came from Florida, and I worked in the college football nonprofit realm for the Orange Bowl committee. And, you know, my role there was ticket sales and stuff, and it was a little bit different. We had one major event, which was the Orange Bowl game, and then we had a bunch of smaller events that the Orange Bowl did. Uh, prior to that, I worked in the NBA for the Indiana Pacers for eight years, and then I'm from California, uh, played college football, basketball at, at Eastern New Mexico, so a small D2. You do it for the love out there. And, uh, yeah, that's my background, and I'm excited to be out here. It's it's completely different than Miami, obviously, but one of the good things about St. Louis is that the sports fans are really serious. They really love their teams out here. And, you know, out there in South Florida, plans could be apathetic, to say the least. <laughs> and uh, here, people are so into it. And you would swear we were going to play tomorrow, right? The way people are, are talking about the team. And we don't even play for another couple of years. So I'm really excited to see where this so. goes.
4: Yeah, one thing you're not going to get here is apathetic sports fans. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but Edmund, what was it about this job and this organization that was attractive to you?
7: Uh, there was a few things. The city was one for sure. Just, you know, the fan base and knowing how they support their, their teams. That was definitely a big factor. Uh, the Taylor family was another big factor. In a way they just support the community and a lot of the things that they've done, and we aren't hearing Edmund anymore. This happens, oh, so oh,
3: there, oh, there you there go. We is. got you. Okay.
7: Okay. Yeah. Uh, did you hear me? Okay. Yeah. So the the Taylor family it was another factor where you know the way they support the community and just how how they have, have invested and why they're doing why they're supporting this team uh, was just really the big factor. I love the culture. I love you know Dennis Moore who's. Uh, you know my supervisor; right. he's been fantastic, and just we have a good group of people. So that, that, that's why I made the move out here.
3: Edmund Elsey is the vice president of ticket sales and service. A busy day. You can go to Sc dot com and put in your deposit for St. Louis City SC tickets at 10 o'clock so just go to the website Edmund you, you mentioned the passion of the sports fan here and from what we have heard and we haven't had uh, actual, actual tactile experience yet with MLS but I'm sure that you researched MLS the the fan is passionate and maybe a little different than the typical baseball or NFL fan
7: for sure they they trend younger you know that that's number one and that's, I think that's one of the reasons why MLS is so exciting for advertisers, right, is that you're getting into that millennial generation that's that's coming up, and you know that that that's exciting, and you know just just the game is, is just different, right? Um, if you think about baseball or, or NFL being slower, you know MLS is it's exciting, right? It, it's uh you know it, it, it's it's fast paced, it's it's you know, and it's it's soccer. Soccer has grown so much over the years. I think specifically with St. Louis, where You know, I've heard you had 50,000 kids that come here to play youth soccer uh, every year. Like so many people have grown up kind of playing it now, especially in in this, you know, millennial uh, gen X generation that they can all relate to it a little bit more than maybe baseball or NFL now.
3: I wanted to ask you about the Orange Bowl and the bowl system in general, because the Orange Bowl, when I was growing up, that was the goal for Mizzou was the, the big eight champion in the days. Yeah. That, that was the goal was to get to, to win the conference and go to the Orange Bowl. Now with the, the championship and the final four, is the bowl system going to be able to sustain itself? You think?
7: Yeah, it, it's different, you know, for sure. I think on the outside you kind of look at that and you say, you know, the bowl system is in the, in the playoff system and they get a a game that matters every three years. And in two years, you know, the the conference matchup and it really has no stakes. Um, But where the bowl system can succeed is that it is a really a good thing for the community. Like the stuff the Orange Bowl did in the community where we, we we built parks and um, really supported a lot of different initiatives was really what helped support the game. And the teams and the conferences that we were aligned with, they were all in on that. You know, they all helped support that. And when I was there, ACC was one of the ACC's games. The Big Ten and the SEC at Notre Dame were our partners. And it was all one mission, you know, to build this game that's going to generate this much money. And the majority of the money went back into the community in South Florida. And so I think that mission helped sustain the game even for the two-off year. And then, obviously, when you have the semifinal every three, year, three years, that, that sustains itself. People are excited about it. And, um, you know, down the road, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think they are year five of a 12-year contract. And so they got a long time before they have to worry about what the next step is. Uh, but for right now, I do think there's a, a good plan that's sustainable and that will work.
3: Ed Delsey, I'm watching the countdown on the St. Louis City SC website. You're at 149 and 20 seconds right now until we get things started. Can't wait. We're looking forward to that. We know it's a busy day and is going to be even a busier day for you. And we appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations and welcome to St. Louis.
7: Hey, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, and, and just don't forget, 10 a.m. stlcitysc.com. Go there, get your deposit down as soon as you can.
3: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people doing it. Have a great day. Thank you, sir.
7: All right. Thank you. Take care.
3: You too. That is Edmund Elzey. He is the Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for St. Louis City SC. And again, stlcitysc.com. Michelle, to make your deposit for tickets. And I have to believe that's going to be a busy website today.
4: I'm concerned, Randy. I'm concerned that we're not going to get in, but I'm going to try to log in at right at 9.59.50. I'm going to watch this clock in here, count down, and we're going to get in as soon as we can.
3: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to get Dan off early. So oh, yeah.
4: That, he'll so, understand.
3: Oh, yeah, he'll get it.
4: He might be logging on too. He Try to get his tickets.
3: Yep. <laughs> Coming up next on 101 ESPN, it's our fresh take and breaking news in college football. The Big Ten is expected to announce its return of football today. That's next with Michelle and Randy on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: There are multiple reports out there, most notably from Pete Thamel of Yahoo, that the Big Ten football season is going to be played. He tweets, sources, the Big Ten is coming back and will begin the weekend of October 24th. It'll include daily rapid testing as a fixture of the plan. A statement from the league is imminent. So, the Big Ten is going to play. And, Michelle, I, I've said it on the air. I've uh, written it on social media. I just want to see football. I really... I I don't know these guys and if they want to play so bad that uh, they're willing to take risks and by the way the CDC reported yesterday that 121 121- people between the ages of 15 and 21 have died from covid actually it did before september if they want to roll the dice and it's really not that much of a roll of the dice and i get to watch football i'm all for it
4: yeah if they've got the daily rep, rapid testing and you know that they're going to be put into a safe environment where like we just said they're being tested every day i'm for it i just the thing that had gotten me randy was The big part of making this decision was because of the information that was presented to the presidents, to the ADs about myocarditis and about the effect that contracting COVID could have potentially on the heart. And so I was reading yesterday at USA Today about how one of the co-authors of the study from Ohio State, Dr. Kurt Daniels, he was talking to the Columbus Dispatch and said that he believes that the interpretations of the results about the risk that exists for myocarditis have been widely misconstrued. So I think if you're the Big Ten and you have one person who co-authored the original... study that led you to make this decision and he's telling you, hey, I think that this has been blown out of proportion. I think it's actually not as big of a threat as you think and you couple that with the daily rapid testing that the Big Ten arrived at a place where they feel comfortable doing this.
3: And you look at the SEC. Mizzou has seven positive tests right now and they are moving forward and they're going to start play later this month. So everybody else is doing it. I guess the Pac-12 will soon follow and they'll play college football. And ultimately, what this came down to was Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, getting on the phone with the president and the president telling him he would like to play, find a way to play. And so the Big Ten is finding a way to play. So we have more college football. It'll be better for the TV networks. It'll be better for radio. It'll be better for ESPN radio and us to be able to air games. The kids will get their opportunity to play. NFL scouts will have a an opportunity to see the players there's really not much downside here because of the testing.
4: No. And did you read the article uh, about Ed Orgeron at LSU who said virtually his entire team has contracted mm-hmm. COVID-19 and they're moving forward? I, th- I think that the Big Ten made the initial decision based on the state of the country at the time, the state of the pandemic. And, you know, we applauded them. We thought that the, that was a, a smart and proactive approach. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're the Big Ten and you're risking losing all of this revenue and all of these opportunities for these student athletes, and you're looking at a school like LSU and Coach O saying, hey, look at our entire team has essentially contracted yeah. this and all of these student athletes are fine and we're pushing forward with games, it's hard for you to continue to sit idle when you're watching other programs move forward. And
3: let's be honest, if you are. It's kind of like when Steve Phillips gave Bobby Bonilla that million dollars a year that started 20 years down the road or whatever. By the time those lawsuits are fired by filed by any player who did contract myocarditis... 12 15 years down the road those chancellors and ad's aren't going to be around anymore to deal with those lawsuits if there are any so let them play now why deal with the hassle of not playing when you can get that 100 million dollars from playing the tv money in the big 10 is enormous and you can keep your players happy you can keep if you're ohio state you can keep ryan day happy why not even if you do believe that there might be some future issues with the health of student athletes, you're not going to be around when those are going to be a part of the lexicon when when those lawsuits are fired. So, uh, filed. So, just go out and, and let them play.
4: And as much as this entire situation with the Big Ten has been frustrating for fans of that conference because it has seemed very discombobulated and like no one was on the same page and that somebody needed to stand up and and be the voice of reason here and and guide this ship, I will say this. I do commend the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for being proactive in saying, hey, we are going to worry about health and safety first before money, because that is so rare in college mm-hmm. sports, even though now they're they're going to play. I do, I do think that they should be commended for putting health and safety first, because that is something that we're not <laughs> used to seeing.
3: And that was primarily led by the presidents of Michigan and Michigan State, who are both doctors. I'll be interested to see what the vote was, because the or- original vote In August, a month ago, was 11-3 to against playing. They needed 60%. So they needed 9 to pass this. So obviously you had a lot of people change their minds. But I'm just interested to see how Michigan, and especially with pressure from Harbaugh Mm -hmm. and Michigan State, came down in terms of this vote. And maybe it was unanimous.
4: We'll find out. Hopefully we get that information soon.
3: Yeah, and like we said earlier, for that that conference, having Michigan, Michigan State is a big deal. And they don't want to lose the TV money. The University of Wisconsin is going to lose more than $100 million. They were by not playing. Now they'll be able to recoup a large portion of that. Plus, they're likely to get their Final Four money, which is enormous. That's like $7 million that is split among every member of the conference if you don't play and you don't have a team in the final four that seven million dollars which is five hundred thousand dollars a program just goes out the window
4: but think about that a hundred million dollars for one season that you could potentially lose
3: yeah and that's pretty much every school in the conference that's i don't think northwestern is at a hundred million dollars for their football program but the likes of iowa wisconsin ohio state michigan michigan state penn state Those are all in that $100 million or more area. So from that perspective, even if you're an academic and you're looking at that and you say that $100 million is a lot of the money that provides scholarships for my science program or my mathematics programs, everybody on campus should want the football team to play. All bets are all.
4: And especially the other athletic programs,
3: Oh, yeah, because if, the, if you don't have them, and even with football playing this year, because of what's happening with the NCAA, those might die off anyway. Those, the non-revenue sports are going to be in real trouble. And we still don't know what's going to happen with basketball. I would imagine now that colleges are playing football, how can you say no to basketball?
4: I think it was trending more towards basketball being a more controlled sport because Mm -hmm. of the the logistics, not as many people involved, the the time of year, etc. And yeah, if you complete a, a college football season or at least you get to a certain point when college basketball was going to start up, I don't see them shutting college basketball down.
3: And the official announcement is now out. And uh, we can read just the beginning for you. The Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors adopted significant medical protocols, including daily antigen testing, enhanced cardiac screening, and an enhanced data-driven approach when making decisions about practice and competition. The cop Dash or COP slash C, voted unanimously to resume the football season starting the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. The decision was based on information presented by the Big Ten Return to Competition Task Force, a working group that was established by the COP slash C and Commissioner Kevin Warren to ensure a collaborative and transparent process. So it was a unanimous vote for the Big Ten to return to football. By the way, the next sentence is the Big Ten will require student athletes, coaches, trainers, and other individuals that are on the field for all practices and games to undergo daily testing.
4: Daily testing. Wow. Well, that's official. October 23rd, 24th, Randy. We're about a month away.
3: I'm liking it. We're going to have all the college football we can handle. So go Big Ten. Go Illini.
2: Illini.
3: So, Okay. This is good. I want to see a schedule now.
4: Yeah, I wonder when that will be released.
3: Uh, here's what we found on the web, according to my phone.
4: They just popped that up. Yeah.
3: I, 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 Siri? I, I apparently was talking to Google. Okay. You can
4: go Hey Google on your phone.
3: Yeah. Want yeah. to see it? It's always listening. Hey Google, what's the Big Ten schedule? The Illinois
2: versus Indiana game scheduled
4: for Saturday has been postponed. The Ohio State versus Purdue game has been postponed. The Rutgers versus Maryland game has been
3: postponed. Not anymore, Google. Oh, thanks, Google. I was really locked into Rutgers, Maryland. <laughs> Next up.
4: <laughs> but you what? know what? Shouts to Google for going with Illinois first. Yeah, that's They know your I demo. Like
3: that. maybe, that's, maybe she responded to us saying ILL. I don't
4: know. Oh, <laughs> isn't it weird that Google is listening all the time? Watch all the social the dilemma, Randy. It's going to mess with your brain. I'm telling you. <laughs>
1: Next up, we have the fight for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning.
4: Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's time for the fight. Randy asked for some football questions today, and I'm perusing the fight, and Scott, you delivered.
9: Couple of uh, football questions for him. You know, I'm just trying to give him what he wants, and then of course, uh, give the fans what they want. They want more varieties, they want less softballs than apparently are the Cardinals, so I only had one Cardinals question for okay. that.
4: Okay. All right. we well, got to give the people what they want, Scotty. <laughs> All right, let's welcome in our challenger this morning. David is with us. Good morning, David. Good morning. You ready to challenge Randy today in the fight?
6: Oh, yeah, I'm always ready. Oh,
4: I love that. Always ready. All right, well, let's go. On this day in 1963, David CN Musial hit his 475th home run as a St. Louis Cardinal, which was his final home run in his career. After Albert Poolholz, who was third all-time in Cardinal home runs, is it Ken Boyer, Jim Edmonds, or Mark McGuire? Oh. Uh,
0: so Jim Edmonds.
9: All right, question number two for you, David. Of course, the Browns are playing in Thursday night football. You can hear the game tomorrow. Pregame starts at 6.30 p.m. here on 101 ESPN. What school did Baker Mayfield play for prior to transferring to Oklahoma? Was it Texas Tech, Texas, or TCU? Can uh, we repeat those again? Yeah, is it Texas Tech, Texas, or TCU?
0: I want to say Texas Tech.
4: Is that your final answer, David?
6: Yeah, we'll go with that.
4: All right. Question number three Who started the season as the head coach for the St. Louis Rams in 2008? Scott Linehan, Steve Spagnolo, or Jeff Fisher?
8: Is that
0: Spags here? I'm pretty sure that's Spags.
9: Again, final answer, David? Yes. All right. All right, and your final question, David. What city was the 2000 Super Bowl played in where the Rams defeated the Titans 23-16? to Was it in Atlanta, New Orleans, or Miami? New Orleans. All right, checking score here. You know,
4: that question number two is a good one. You think so? I had to think back to that, because he's so synonymous with Oklahoma.
9: I know, right? Yeah, that threw me off, too. Yeah, made right? a lot of those transfers in there. Jalen Hurts. That's
4: right, that's right.
9: They got a new guy this year now.
4: Randy is in the house. He's getting settled in. Say good morning to David, Randy.
9: David, how you doing? Good, how about you? Everything's
3: great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing.
4: Randy, yesterday you made a comment about... We need more football questions here yeah, on the fight. Well,
3: somebody did, so I disagreed.
4: Scott delivered today. All right. All right. Good. Question number one for you, though, is a baseball question. Okay. On this day in 1963, Stan Musial hit his 475th home run as a St. Louis Cardinal. That was the final home run of his career. Yeah. After Albert Pujols, who's third all-time in Cardinal home runs?
3: Third all-time in Cardinal home runs. Nobody else even has is in the 300s. I believe Ken Boyer is the next 256, 253,
9: 250s. Question number two for you, Randy. Baker Mayfield will be in action on Thursday Night Football. You can hear the game here on 101 ESPN. Again, 630 is the pregame tomorrow night. What school did Baker Mayfield play for prior to transferring to Oklahoma? Was he Texas Tech also? Kyler Murray was Texas Tech. Yeah, because he
3: played for Kingsbury there. I, I think I know, but I better do the lifeline here.
9: All right. Is it Texas Tech, Texas, or
3: TCU? Texas Tech.
4: Randy, who started the season as the head coach for the St. Louis Rams in
3: 2008? 2008. So it poured that day at my golf tournament. It was the only time that my golf tournament has been played where it poured, but it was a great day because they fired Scott Linehan. <laughs> He started the season as the uh, the Rams head coach. Then Jim Haslett took over.
9: All right, final question for you, Randy. What city was the 2000 Super Bowl played in, where the Rams defeated the Titans 23 to 16? It was in icy Atlanta, Georgia.
4: We have a winner. Go crazy, folks!
1: Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
4: Good job, good effort, David. But, Randy, with the sweep, you heard Jack Buck, Jack Buck's voice there. Four to one is our final score. Let's give you the answers. Uh, after Albert Pujols and Stan Musial, Ken Boyer is third all-time in Cardinal home runs. Randy, 255.
9: Oh,
3: I was, I was in the neighborhood at least.
4: One off. One off. Baker Mayfield did play for Texas Tech before he transferred to Oklahoma. He played eight games as a freshman. Scott Linehan started the season as head coach for the St. Louis Rams in 2008. Do you remember the start he got off to, Randy?
3: Um, I believe he was O oh, and what was it? It was like week four, so I'll go 0-4.
4: It was 0-4. And, and the 2000 Super Bowl where the Rams defeated the Titans 23-16 was in Atlanta.
9: All right. Great job, Scotty. Thanks. Yeah, you got it, Randy. You know, every time I make the fight, I'm I'm in a, I told you I'm in another universe when I try to come up with these questions, and I'm like, man, what can I possibly get to stump Randy today? And every time I'm like, man, this is, this is a good fight. And now, like, again, you get four out of four. Yeah, well. It's unbelievable. And you talk about the golf tournament that you're at. He knows everything.
4: So it was icy in Atlanta that year? It was icy in Dallas when we went to Dallas, remember? yeah.
3: They canceled everything in Atlanta. I was going to go to an Atlanta Thrashers game. They were still in business. That's when I knew the Atlanta Thrashers weren't going to make it. When you have a hockey team that has to cancel because of an ice storm. It was a really icy, miserable week there until Sunday. But it was fun had a good time. Boy, was this town fired up. They were sending stuff down to Atlanta. The bakeries were st- sending oh. blue and gold stuff down to our uh, broadcast center down there. It was a pretty cool week. It was fun. Even though it was icy.
4: Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm sure you had a blast.
3: You know what I'm bummed that didn't make it is the ESPN Zone. The the restaurants. I liked the ESPN Zone restaurants. I
4: never visited one.
3: They had them. Heck, I I went to a lot of them. <laughs> and uh the, that week I went they had a lot of parties down at the one in Atlanta. So it was cool. But Chicago had one, New York, Washington, D.C. I was That was a bunch of them. I'm great.
4: imagining wall-to-wall TVs, nachos. Yeah. It was
3: great. Works. Yeah. You know what channel they were on? ESPN. There you go. <laughs> it's Kara Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Alex Petrangelo is headed towards free agency in about three weeks. Is there a number that the Blues are looking at to try to keep him around? That's next on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: We're about three weeks away from the start of NHL free agency and Alex Petrangelo being the number one free agent on the market. This quote unquote off season, our blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford from the athletic joined uh, Rives and BK yesterday here on 101 ESPN and talked about, the Blues' moving target in terms of offering a deal to Alex Petrangelo.
8: Let's say the cap did go up to eighty-five, eighty-six million, eighty-seven, like they were projecting. I still don't believe that the Blues would be offering nine million dollars. I think all along they've had in their mind eight million, eight point two five. So no pandemic, nothing. I don't think the Blues are offering. Uh, nine million. Now the Blues find themselves in a situation where the cap didn't go up. It's po- probably not going to go up for a few years. And they're looking at life in the NHL a lot different post uh, COVID. Not that we're through it yet, but in terms of the salary cap, we know what it's going to look like for the next few years. And I think they're trying to get a number that fits with the cap. And right now I said that number is seven, seven. Do they eventually come up to eight, eight, two, get the deal done, and then eventually have to? trade-off parts like they did with Jake Allen to, to make it work. You know, I do think that that's possible, but in terms of is it salary cap-related versus what do they want to pay Alex Petrangelo, I think right now it's what do they want to pay Alex Petrangelo. It's it's under $8 million and it's trying to get everybody in the cap and not have to trade off a couple more assets to make it possible.
3: The Blues are obviously trying to keep a window open. Now, there is a yeah. limit to what you can pay an NHL player, but Alex Petrangelo isn't going to reach that point. Under the free agency system now, in effect, in the National Hockey League, if you sign a free agent from another team, the maximum number of years you can give him is seven. To keep a player, you can keep him with an eight-year contract. So you can keep your own guy and give him an extra year. A player can take up a maximum of 20% of your cap. Alex Petrangelo isn't going to hit that range. He's not going to get to $16 million a year with the cap being roughly $80 million, million. So what we're talking about with Petro is a little less, let's see, 10% would be $8.1 million And that was before the cap was stopped from going up. So it was going to be a little less than 10%. Right now, the Blues' highest-paid players are Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko, both making $7.5 million. The Blues, if 7.7 is the number, would be making Alex Petrangelo the highest-paid player in the history of their franchise. Mm-hmm. The question is, is somebody else willing to pay more? Now, the highest-paid defenseman in the NHL, and I think everybody, including the Sharks, would agree that this contract was a mistake when the Sharks gave Eric Carlson a deal that calls for an $11.5 million cap hit over the maximum eight years. Carlson's won two Norris trophies. Drew Doughty, the number two highest-paid defenseman, has won a Norris trophy. Roman Yossi is number three right now at 9000000 million-plus. P.K. Subban has won a Norris. He's at $9 million. Oliver ekman Larson, perhaps the best under-30 defenseman in the league, is next. He's fifth at 8.25. Jacob Truba, who was going to become a free agent of the Rangers, at $8 million. And so if you're in that seven point seven to $8 million range, you're talking about being between the 10th and 6th highest-paid defenseman in the league.
4: And if you're Alex Petrangelo and you're looking at those numbers, they're all pretty relative and comparable. And if you're thinking about what number might satisfy you, you also have to look at some of those players and look at the circumstances that they're in. And if you're looking at the Blues, you're thinking, I want to be paid X amount of dollars, but I also want to be in a situation that's comfortable for me, that I have control over, and I also want to be on a contender. And so can they arrive at a place where the number still satisfies him, and he understands the value that he's getting by maybe taking a little le- a little less money to stay in this situation.
3: And Petro has played 12 years to get to this point. He's won his cup. This is going to be his last opportunity to make big-time bank. This is his last opportunity to make that deal where he can get the Yossi contract at $9 million a year. But he's not going to get it here. And if he does make 9 million dollars a year it's kind of like the Tom Brady situation taking less with New England isn't it where your surrounding cast if you're taking 9 million rather than 8 is dramatically different specifically here in St. Louis where there's a large chasm between the highest paid players and then a bunch of guys that are making 2 million or less there isn't really a lot of room for the Blues to open up 8 million dollars in cap space and remain a contender
4: but if the Blues are offering you 8 two, 5 and another team offers you 9, is that disparity in between there so great that it would deter you from coming back to St. Louis for less than a million dollars?
3: It depends on how much control he has of his situation. His agent, Don Meehan, is a guy who plays for the last dollar and takes his guys into free agency. Agents always go for the last dollar. So if Alex isn't in charge, yeah, that doesn't matter. It's good. It's going to be the best contract. If he truly... ...is in charge of his situation and is willing to tell his agent that he's the boss and the agent works for him and say, okay, this is my number. If you can get me to stay in St. Louis at this number, we're staying. But if he tells his agent, go get me the best contract, then it's probably not going to be in St. Louis.
4: And. This is all a game, right? You're you're playing the, okay, this team's going to offer me this. Can I command more from the Blues? All right, well, if this is where my heart really is, now I have to wager these back and forth. But when you... It's easy to talk about strictly money. Strictly money mm-hmm. is is one conversation, and it's black and white. But for Al Petrangelo, there is value in all of these other intangible things that right. St. Louis brings you. Well, There's value in wearing the C on that sweater. There's value in, be, in being the preeminent voice in that locker room. There's value in having a community that supports you and that loves Michelle, you. There, that value
3: <laughs> was there for Albert Pujols, too.
4: But I think this might be a little bit different because— Albert felt disrespected at the time. And now, and maybe Alex Petrangelo, having lived in St. Louis, can look at that situation and, and maybe learn something from it. Who knows?
3: JR talked about that.
8: I think he's willing to take that hometown discount, but the other terms need to be in his favor, quote unquote. And I think you look at the situation, I believe the number to be right now about 7.7 million that the blues are offering. I also know uh, just in conversations with people around the league that uh, he could make 8.5, maybe even close to 9 million, perhaps, you know, that's what the uh, talk around the league is. And so you're getting closer to that date where Alex Petrangelo can smell a different opportunity. And, you know, you, you, go back to what you said just a minute ago, do you feel wanted, you know, perhaps it gets to a point where Alex Petrangelo, even though the blues have heavy interest in wanting to resign him, He doesn't feel wanted at that point. So I think it's a situation where as we get closer to this October 9th date, uh, while an 11th hour offer still, that possibility still exists, I, I just think the percentages increase in terms of Alex Petrangelo potentially moving on.
3: And I can tell you this, without hesitation, that Doug Armstrong is never going to love one player so much that he keeps him and gives him a contract at the expense of the success of the team.
4: Yeah, the name on the back is never going to be more important to him than the note on the front. No,
3: it's not. So it's funny because players talk about how it's business, but then, and I'm not accusing Alex Petrangelo of this because he, he understands, he gets it, that mm-hmm. it is business. But you have to keep it that way. Nobody's going to be warm and fuzzy towards you when it's business time. They'll be warm and fuzzy towards you when you're winning Stanley Cups and when you're under contract and you can be buddies. But you hired an agent, okay? You aren't doing it yourself. So because you have that agent, that throws the warm and fuzzy out the window. And the worst thing that happened to The Greatest Show on Turf was that that franchise did what we as fans wanted. They became emotionally attached to Isaac and Tori and Marshall and Orlando When they were done playing, they couldn't play anymore. And Isaac goes to San Francisco, and Torrey goes to Jacksonville, and Marshall has to retire, and Orlando goes to the Bears for a year. None of those guys could play anymore. And they were under big long-term contracts, and they, they extended their ability to play by too long of a time. None of those guys went anywhere and did anything. The worst thing that you can do as a franchise in any sport is put yourself in a situation where you're signing guys beyond their expiration date.
4: And if I'm the Blues, that's the exact pitch that I'm making to Petro, I'm going to say, hey, this is an uncomfortable situation. We feel gross about it. I know you don't like it either. But guess what? I have to make the best decision for this franchise to put you in the best position to win. You don't like my unemotional decision-making? Well, this unemotional decision-making that moved your best friend, David Backus, out of town allowed you to be the first guy to hoist the cup in franchise history. We have to come to a mutual agreement that's best for us as a collective.
3: If Don Meehan and Newport Sports aren't part of the equation, then we can get warm and fuzzy. If Doug Armstrong and Alex Petrangelo can get out and play Westwood Country Club for 18 and work out a contract on the course, they can get warm and fuzzy. As long as Don Meehan is involved, and by the way, Tom Stillman hires Doug Armstrong for the same thing. So maybe we should have... Tom Stillman and Alex Petrangelo out there, if we want to make it warm and fuzzy, have them out playing golf, working a deal. Otherwise, as long as it's me and an Armstrong, there aren't emotions involved. There is no warmth. There is no fuzziness. This is bidness.
4: The problem with that, too, is the longer this goes on, the more vulnerable the athlete's ego is because Mm -hmm. you are standing out there and you're having... This team that you have an emotional connection to, maybe not giving you what you want, and you start thinking, okay, is it because they don't value me the way mm-hmm. that I I need? Do they not respect what I have done for them? You have your agent in your ear talking about money. All the while, you're potentially being courted and hearing all of these great things about you from the outside, yeah. from different organizations saying you are a Stanley Cup champion. You could change this franchise, mm-hmm. and guess what? We are going to reward you monetarily. We want to make you the highest paid person this offseason, et cetera etc. It starts to get in your brain. So all of these other things that you think about before when you're in that locker room, when you're with your guys, when you're wearing that sweater, slowly start to dissipate.
3: That's what happened with Albert, isn't it? Because he expected that Bill DeWitt Jr. was going to become warm and fuzzy. By the way.
4: But they did. They did. They offered him way more than they ever should have. Well,
3: and I'll never forget the press conference that Mo had after Albert left. And he said, I was very uncomfortable with the offer that we made. That was an offer that was made by Bill DeWitt, who does, by the way, get emotionally involved, even though he's never going to be warm and fuzzy. He's emotionally involved. That's why Yachty's going to end his career as a Cardinal, because Bill DeWitt is emotionally involved with his franchise. And his general manager, the guy he pays to be cool and calm and collected and at times cold, he didn't want to offer that contract because he's looking at a different picture.
4: I couldn't believe they had, they offered him 10 years, 200. Yeah, 210. 210. Yeah. I couldn't believe they offered him that.
3: Yeah. So at the end of the day, and BK brought this up yesterday, if Petrangelo wants 8.2, which would give him $700,000 more a year than the highest paid blue in history, Tarasenko and O'Reilly, if the blues. If he wants 8.2 and the Blues are offering 7.7, would the Blues really be willing to let him walk for $500,000 a year?
8: Another $500,000 a year, uh, another $700,000 a year makes it possible. Uh, I, I just think that if you let him go, that window closes a bit, and now you have a situation where you have a major hole on defense, and then you have guys coming back like Tarasenko, who knows when he's coming back. You know, then O'Reilly, these guys are a little bit past their prime in terms of their age. And so how long does that window stay open if you have to find somebody to replace Alex Petrangelo in the next couple of years? And and so to me, that's what it's about. But I believe that Doug Armstrong knows the importance of him, wants to get a deal done. He just wants to get it done at his terms.
3: And I said this before, Michelle, and I will say it again. If the Cardinals or Cardinals, if the Blues give him a contract, An eight-year deal for, let's make it $8.1 million, which would make him the sixth highest-paid defenseman in the league. That would be a contract for roughly $64.8 million. If if he gets that eight-year contract, you aren't getting Colton Pareko back in two years. He's not coming back. Wow. He's gone.
4: That's a tough decision to make.
3: So you do have Pareko, Petrangelo, Falk for the next two years, but after the 2022 23 no, twenty one, twenty two season, Pareko leaves as a free agent because there's no you can fit him under your cap. None, No way.
4: Quick reaction, Randy. Is Petra back with the Blues, yes no, or no? No,
3: he's not. No. Even Detroit, and I can't imagine that he would go to Detroit because when you talk about winning, if he goes to Detroit, it really is all about money. The logical spot for him to go, if he's going to leave, would be the Panthers. I know that it's been written that Colorado will come after him. Colorado's not coming after him. That would be too much of an investment, because they have McCarr coming up on free agency. Too much of an investment for them to plug in Petro, in addition to Eric Johnson, who has no trade, no movement, and is making, he's making about $6 million also, plus Makar. Colorado's not doing it. But there will be a team out there that will sign Alex Petrangelo and give give him the deal. I'll bet you he gets Subban money. I'll bet you he gets the nine for seven years.
4: Toronto?
3: I don't know if they can trade one of their forwards. They would have to trade either Marner, Matthews, Tavares, or Kneelander, and I don't think they can find a team to take one of those deals. With the cap the way it is, I don't think they can find a team to trade for one of those deals. So, it would be really tough. That would be one of those situations, if Toronto does it, where that's an emotional buy and they'll have no chance of ever winning. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and this is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, is the Jack Flaherty panic bus getting warmed up? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. 906 time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, as we know here in St. Louis, there are some people in baseball that you have no problem dealing with, like a guy who would kick with his back to the screen like Johnny Cueto. You have Ugh. no problem getting into a fight with him. You don't want to mess with Chris Carpenter, do you?
1: Uh, I you don't. Don't. Mm-hmm. don't want
3: to mess with the Tony La Russa team. No. Nope. We're quickly reaching the point where, and we know that you don't want to mess around with Yadier Molina. Are you okay messing around with Ryan Braun? Yes, no problem. One of the guys that uh, has that that kind of, uh, I, w- I won't say soft, but an amenable exterior is Mike Schilt, yeah, right?
4: Super a, yeah, super amenable. Great word for great it. Great
3: guy, nice, fun, uh, fun to talk to, but don't get him ticked off like the Milwaukee Brewers did last night. I
6: don't know where the insult came from. I don't know. what I, I feel like it was more directed to me, quite honestly. You know, I... I did I do anything to, to warrant it perhaps? I mean, I, I was staring in the dugout. I will accept yeah. that. It was, you know, with the mask on, it's hard to really appreciate what people are really intending. You can hear, I can hear great though. Uh, my, my hearing doesn't suffer at all with the mask on. But I did, I stared in the dugout. I mean, I can't, I can't be happy with the fact that, you know, and, and look, i has been in this league a long time. He's a good player. He's a really good player. You know, he's had nice series against us. I'm not, and I want to make sure this is clear. There is no allegations against Ryan Braun necessarily. It just didn't look good. It's a second catching appearance of a guy that's caught since June the 5th, I think, of 2004 when he made his debut. It just didn't look good when the, when a little bit of conversation took place prior to it. And if you pay attention to it, there was a conversation prior to it. And I'm sure you have. It just didn't look good. and At that point, you think I'm going to accept that? No. But uh, you take the high road. There was a look in the dugout. There was something said. And at that point, all bets are off.
3: (laughs) No allegations, by the way, against uh, Ryan Brown. I beg to differ. (laughs)
4: yeah, what? A quick Google search tells me otherwise, (laughs) (laughs) you know? But that is my favorite bite of the entire season, Randy. Favorite bite of the entire season. I love the way that it built, the way that it unfolded. You have Schilt being a little passive aggressive saying, hey, my hearing's fine. I might have a mask on, but the hearing is fine. Yeah, I stared in the dugout a little bit, all right? He gives a nice little compliment to Ryan Braun, drops the allegations word in there, which we're going to definitely have some fun with. He, of course, gives praise to Yadier Molina guy who's been doing it since 2004 he makes sure to let everybody know where he stands in regards to Gotti. will he accept it no you start to hear the anger rise and then at the end all bets are off Randy all bets are off you
3: gotta love the toughness of this guy and I have to believe the teams are concerned now as he tells us was I wearing my mask yeah was was I staring yeah it kind of reminded me of this
2: Point of parliamentary procedure. Don't screw around. They're serious this time. Take it easy. I'm in pre-law, man. Thought you pre-med. What's the difference? Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be brief. I don't think he's empty. The issue here is not whether we broke a few rules or took a few liberties with our female party guests. We did. But you can't hold a whole fraternity responsible for the behavior of a few sick perverted individuals? For if you do, then shouldn't we blame the whole fraternity system? And if the whole fraternity system is guilty, then isn't this an indictment of our educational institutions in general? I put it to you, Greg, isn't this an indictment of our entire American society? Well, you can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you bad mouth the United States of America. Gentlemen.
3: All bets are off.
2: All bets
4: are off. He's not going to sit you, (laughs) let there, or sit there and let you... Badmouth Yadier Molina. It's just no. not going to happen.
3: And is there a greater representative of the United States of America than the St. Louis Cardinals? I'm not going to sit here and let the Milwaukee Brewers badmouth the United States of America.
4: I mean, we're we're from the gateway to the to the West, Randy, the heartbeat of America. We are, of course We're, we're not. the heartland. Heartland, definitely, so, but. It's very rare that Mike Shilt shows that side of him, Great. that intensity when yep. the heat gets turned up. And thanks to Randy Rosarena, we saw a hint <laughs> of it last season in the postseason, but I absolutely love when we see that side of him. He gives me the Randy Carricker blackout vibes. I love it. Now,
1: I don't give a f- who we play. We're going to f- him
6: up. We're going to take it right to him the whole f- way. We're going to kick your f- ass.
4: That's right. <laughs> All bets are off.
3: That's awesome. That's still Great. one
4: of the my favorite things I ever did was when I had to uh, fire up the fast lane, Mike Schilt style, last year. <laughs>
3: Remember had, that? We, we had we, one
4: take to do it. Yeah. One take before you went on air. Yeah. And I had to not laugh the whole time. You
3: have to do that. Okay, the other question that we have to answer is, are we concerned about Jack Flaherty, who did have a bad start last night? And he is last year was so dominant the second greatest second half in the history of the sport right you compare last year to this year michelle you look at what the cardinals look at and this is the stat cast numbers 2019 exit velocity against Flaherty for the year was 86.6 86.6 this year 86.4 teams aren't hitting the ball as hard against him Uh, Last year's sweet spot percentage against him, 33.4, 31.4 this year. Teams aren't getting to the sweet spot as much. Uh, Last year, his hard hit percentage against 30.3%. This year, 27.1%. So when you look at what other batters are doing against him, he's actually better from those numbers than he was last year. Last night was a bad start. There's no two ways about it. But the fact of the matter is, when you look deeper into what he's doing and what he's done in the midst of a pitch count, by the way, he he doesn't have a chance to work out of problems like he did last year in the second half. I'm not concerned because those numbers are telling me that his velocity, and by the way, his velocity is there. uh, Everything about what he's doing from a pitching standpoint is as good as it was last year.
4: Randy, this one from the 314. Flarinati for Arenado right now, straight up. Do you do it?
3: I can't do it. No, because I don't... Here's what I think is going to happen with Arenado. I think he is going to go to the Rockies and say, look, you aren't having me after 2021. I'm opting out, so get rid of me. And I don't think that the cost of Flaherty will be there. I don't think that the the package that Colorado can get back. If he's saying he's going to opt out after 2021 and I'm the Cardinals, I'm not going to give up Flaherty for him. I'll give up something for him to have him for the year. Maybe have him sign an extension so he's here for the long term. But no, I'm not going to take that chance.
4: Not straight up? Not one for one?
3: Right I can't, now I can't, on I can't, September 16th. I, I can't do it now because of what I know the situation with Arenado is. So, but I will give them Jake Woodford.
4: Oh, I'm sure they will be very yeah. pleased with I'll, that give them, counter.
3: I'll give them... Okay, Wood- you
4: no know Jack Flaherty? Sure, we'll take Woodford instead. Uh,
3: I'll give them Woodford, O'Neal, and uh, Eli Harris-Montero. There you go. Hey, I got two two of my top prospects in the deal. Jake Woodford has a chance to be a starting pitcher, throws the kind of ball that the pitches the way you need to pitch at course Field. Hey, take it or leave it, or have nothing after 2021.
4: Tyler O'Neill might play there, too. Yeah, that'd, yeah. In that ballpark?
3: Yeah. I think strikeouts happen anywhere.
4: <laughs> Randy. So, <laughs> I'm
1: just saying. But true. But true. <laughs> Next up, You're Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: <laughs> All right, it's time for. You're
2: Killing Me Small.
4: Randy, we know that the Cardinals. Tough loss last night, 18-3. to three. Yeah, Tough, not great. Not great. But we also had another high-scoring game last night. The Yankees absolutely looked great last night. They bumped into second place in the AL East last night. 20-6 to six blowout um, over the Blue Jays, excuse me, as my computer refreshes. Anyway, it extended their winning streak to six. DJ LeMahieu and Luke Voigt, they became the first players to ha- at the top of New York's batting order to have five RBI in the same game. Wow. So New York starting to round back into form, the Yankees.
3: That's really surprising with the Yankee history. Mm-hmm. First pair to ever have five? Or DJ season-
4: LeMayhew and Luke Voigt became the first players at the top of New York's batting oh, top order. top of New York's batting You, order. York's batting you have order. to have okay. five RBIs in the same game.
3: You'd still think when they had like Jeter and Soriano that, that something like that would have happened. That's pretty amazing. And Luke Voigt is pretty amazing too. Luke, Luke Voigt. And this isn't hyperbole. Luke Voigt is probably the favorite to win the American League MVP. That one hurts. Yeah. When you look at those. But good for him. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Happy
4: for him, of course.
3: He, let me just look at American League stats here because he has been phenomenal. Uh, Let's see. He is second in RBIs with 42. And I believe that he's first in home runs. Yeah, he's got 18 home runs. So he's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Go, Luke.
4: Go, Luke. Missed that here, though. That's for sure. That
3: would have been nice to have. I know. That would have been a, would you you pl- platooned at first base? Maybe? No,
4: I mean, I know it was impossible, but just hearing a, a... yeah, that's not, yeah. that's your one spot that you're not concerned about here, but
9: still. No.
3: 280, 18 homers, 42 RBIs, and a 977 OPS for Luke.
9: Go, Luke. Scotty. Maybe you could have played the outfield, you know, throw mm-hmm. him out there. Yeah, they, they've tried it with other first baseman. DH?
3: They they have tried that. We yeah, That's two years ago, though. That, yeah, that wasn't really on the horizon.
4: That's true. It, you wouldn't just keep him around hoping that that would happen. But still.
9: You're killing me, Smalls.
4: All right, Randy, we are about a half hour away. We want to remind everybody that you need to head to stlsc.com. 10 a.m. Central Time. You can log in and get your tickets to become a city founder. How cool is that, that we're getting the opportunity to be the first people in buying the tickets being a founder building this organization
3: it is very cool and it's going to be so much fun and this league is going to be around i really do think that the xfl would have been able to make it if it weren't for the pandemic but it was so fun to get on the ground floor Mm -hmm. of the battle hawks and this is another opportunity for the great st louis sports fans to get in on in on the ground floor
4: randy if you were going to buy tickets where would you be fan section scarf chanting the entire time
3: no, I don't think I could do that for the whole game I would want to observe those people They're fun, and I would spend some time over there With the Luligans because they're great But no, I'd probably be more When we were at a game uh, An FC game last mm-hmm. year Probably like uh, towards the Top of the lower bowl
4: Pimp, Randy, with baller seats All right, Like that for you
3: Yeah, Not as good as what I had at the ballpark the other day But still pretty good
4: I'm still riding high on us being front row right behind home plate.
3: The green seats were great. Green
4: seats were great. It was great to be back at Busch Stadium.
3: Yeah, it was fun.
4: Cardboard us had a great time.
3: <laughs>
4: You're killing me, Small! Alright, Brady, we know that Bruce Arians, he was hard on Tom Brady after his debut for the Buccaneers, two yeah. interceptions. Not a great start for TB12. And Bruce Arians came out and said, hey, this was unusual. We expected more of him because this is not the Tom Brady that we've seen in practice. He kind of aired it out for Tom Brady and Brett Favre had something to say about that he said that Bruce Arians is barking up the wrong tree he was on Sirius XM NFL radio yesterday and he said this I think the last person you want to call out after the first game of the year is Tom Brady now maybe they had a mutual truce going into the game going into the season saying hey I'm going to be hard on you I want the guys to know that we're going to treat you the same even though technically I'm not so are you okay with it if they have that truce great. If not, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. Dissension could easily enter quickly.
3: I would think so, especially when you look at how defensive Bruce Arians was of Jameis Winston last year when he became the first 30-30 guy in the history of the league. Maybe they did have an agreement. Or maybe this goes back to my philosophy about Brady going there Because he saw the power that people like Manning and Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers have in terms of running the show and Breeze, of being able to control practice, control the offensive game plan. And maybe Arians wasn't completely on board with giving up that power, ceding that power to Brady. And maybe he's saying, okay, well, if you want the power, you got to produce.
4: Or maybe Tom Brady is just the type of player that needs to be held accountable and called out like that.
3: Or he could be a 43-year-old quarterback who's thrown pick sixes in each of his last three games.
4: A 40 You're in your 40s as a quarterback, and you, you have the stats you just mentioned, and you had no preseason, and you're on a yeah. new team and a new offense. Right. Could be that. Could be that. Could be that. You're killing me, Small. And, Randy, finally, some sad news from the entertainment world. Uh-oh. I know that you're really invested in this, but Cardi B, the rapper, and Offset of Migos, another oh. rapper, we know that you were a huge fan of the celebrity couple. Yeah. Unfortunately, Randy, they announced that they're going to be divorcing. Really? Cardi B had some issues with Offset because of inf- infidelity in the past. She allegedly oh. looked past Offset's um, creeping on the side because of their baby culture, but she's had enough, well. and she's filing for a divorce.
3: I like it that she was able to look past it at times, but if if you're if you're going to fool around on Cardi, you better be careful. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about it, and you know what you really have to be careful of is she will go through your phone right there's there's no doubt about it, and hey it's uh he's losing out on quite a money bag. <laughs> I'm not here to talk about the past. Yeah. So it's, it, Don't be fooling around with the, the, those other girls. Please me.
4: <laughs> Do you think the divorce rate will be all about the money?
3: All about the money. Yeah, and it, yeah just delivering that money bag. I don't think there's any doubt about it. So here's the big question. Will she give back the ring?
4: <laughs> it's a big ring. I don't know. <laughs> I might keep it if I'm her.
3: Yeah, so... Oh man, Bardi a Cardi. That was the ring, right?
4: Yes, <laughs> yes, it was.
3: Oh, you got. I got nothing else.
4: <laughs> it was pretty good, though. I'm very thank, impressed. Thank you. What was that five or six? Yeah. There you go, five or six Cardi B references in about three sentences from you. That was
3: impressive. Uh, she's great. I love Cardi B.
4: Do you? What's your favorite Cardi B song? I like it. Is it like WAP?
3: Is it WAP? WAP is it? a fun song.
4: Yeah. Is it a fun song?
3: Yeah. But, yeah. She's <laughs> great. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That's your killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk Cardinals with our friend, our Cardinal insider from The Athletic, Mark Saxon,
1: who's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We go now to our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and our friend, Cardinal Insider from the Athletic Mark Saxon, kind enough to join us. Good to talk to you, sir. How you doing?
0: Doing really well. Um, Last night was the kind of game uh, that would be easy to turn off, but it ended up Having some interesting aspects to it, so I hope people stay tuned.
3: I want to start with this and uh, Big Saxy. You know that we live in a reactionary society. We did get a text earlier text earlier this morning that said that Jack Flaherty is done. Do you agree?
0: <laughs> Jack Flaherty is done. If Jack Flaherty is done, this team's in a lot of trouble. Um, no, I don't agree at all. I mean i I watch a guy whose stuff has every bit as good as it's ever been. Um, it's not like he's, you know, last night he got hit around a little bit. I think, you know, I do think that his command is off and I, you know, is that because of the 17 day shutdown, he's talked about, you know, not really being able to do it much if anything for a lot of that time. And then the team really kind of babied him, frankly, when they got back. And we all know why, because he might be the most important most valuable as, you know, asset in this entire organization, they didn't want to, you know, they, they gave him extra time to prepare. He just hasn't gotten in sync yet. Um, But I do think if he locks in and this team has any prayer of going deep into the postseason, it would probably be behind Jack Flaherty. So uh, I, I wouldn't say he's done yet after one, one, you know, Career worst start. They all have those. Go back and look at Nolan Ryan and all the rest. They've all had those.
4: Saxy, do you think this team has a prayer of going deep into the postseason, or are the inconsistencies and issues that you're seeing too much for them to overcome?
0: Michelle, I think anybody has a chance <laughs> of going deep in the postseason this year. It's. It's just so different, right? I mean, teams are going to get in who aren't very good. Um, Maybe they'll get a hot pitcher. Maybe the kid, the Marlins, just called up. um, Sixto, whatever his last name is, is going to dominate so badly that nobody's going to hit him, and the Marlins are going to march all the way there. Maybe it's going to be the Indians. I mean, I just think it's going to be a very unpredictable year. And what we just talked about, if Jack Flaherty gets going, if Carlos Martinez joins him, why not? you know they they 've got some really good arms they 've got a great hitter in Paul Goldschmidt. If a couple other guys could join him somewhat close to his production, they could um, They certainly don 't look like it now though
3: it 's interesting Mark before the season started after i believe it was after the first spring training when things got shut down, our friends at the post dispatch. Uh, put together a piece where they they talked about the Cardinals essentially having the ability to have two pitching staffs. And now about half of those guys are gone. When you think about Hicks and Brebia and Gallegos being gone and, and now you lose John Gant for a little while, uh, the Cardinals, f- for a team that had eight or nine right-handed relievers that they thought they could count on in March, they might have one or two now.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you could do the same thing with the rotation, right? Miles Michael is out mm-hmm. for the season, I thought Miles Michaelis was going to have a great season um, before he started feeling that flexor tendon. Um, Carlos Martinez out for a long stretch, you know, going to the emergency room, getting sick. Uh, K- KK, you know, as great as he's been, he's also had a pretty serious liver condition that he's been battling here. And he's pitching, you know, having to pause, taking blood thinners in order to get out there and pitch. So yeah, an incredible number of, uh, a lot of adversity, particularly to the pitching staff, but Randy, as you said, I mean, it just speaks to the depth. You know, you have a, a guy with the upside of a Johan Oviedo that you could put in there. And to your point on the bullpen, I think Alex Reyes. And I mentioned this yesterday. I think Alex Reyes is a crucial piece for this team. There, there aren't a lot of people. You know, there are not a lot of people in that clubhouse with the dynamic level of talent that Alex Reyes has. There's maybe a few. Jack Flaherty, Carlos, as I mentioned, and maybe Alex Reyes. If he can figure it out, start throwing strikes more consistently, I can see him as being a huge factor in that bullpen.
4: Mark, as you mentioned, last night's outcome might not have been great, but there were some interesting developments throughout the game and some interesting storylines, one of which being Mike Schilt. Uh, obviously not pleased with the with the Brewers, with the dugout. We saw the benches clear. We saw him yelling, getting in people's faces, his sounds after the game when he was talking about it. And he says, all bets are off. We really saw that fiery side of Mike Schilt. Uh, it seems like that exists within, within him. It's just not something that we as fans get to see very often.
0: Yeah, he's sort of like uh, they used to talk about Walter Alston, right? The old Dodgers manager, this bespectacled, gentlemanly guy. But I think we all have a a switch, right? And one guy we know has a switch is Yadier Molina because Mm -hmm. everybody listening has been watching him for years, I'm sure. And he plays incredibly under control at all times. You know, He's always aware of what's happening on the field, but there is that switch. And when Yadier Molina's switch gets flipped and he gets angry, It's pretty intense. And the one guy, and this is what I wrote uh, at The Athletic, the one guy Mike Schilt needs to display that he has his back above all others, no question about it, above any of the guys, including Paul Goldschmidt, including Jack Flaherty, is Yadier Molina. Not only because Yadier Molina is probably a future Hall of Famer, but because of the respect he has in that room. He needs to show that he is going to stand up for him, whether Yachty was right or wrong. And I think you could make an argument that he overreacted to something that in fact was his fault. He committed catcher's interference. It's an error on the catcher. Um, So it's really not Ryan Braun's fault that that happened. The Cardinals thought that it may have been somewhat connected since he was yelling at the home plate umpire two pitches earlier, whatever. The point is you're Mike Schilt you've got to show that you have Yadi Molina's back. And I think that's what that was all about.
3: Mark, the playoffs start in 13 days and you talk to Michelle about it. Anybody would not surprise you if they made the playoffs, but for the Cardinals, what does that path to the playoff looks look like with the schedule that they have remaining?
0: Oh, it's, you know, it's a country road. I mean, it, they don't play a team with a winning record the rest of the way. they, I think they need to beat up on the Royals and the, and the pirates. They need to particularly get going offensively against two pretty bad pitching staffs. Um, That's their path to the playoffs. I mean, for years, that's how teams talked about reaching the postseason. And I don't think that's different this year. You beat up the bad teams. You hold your own against the good teams. The Cardinals, depending what you think of the brewers, because a bunch of their games are against the brewers don't face any particularly good teams. And so They need to hang with the Brewers, and they need to beat up on those other really bad teams who I mentioned. If they don't get in, um, now that they're healthy, I don't think they have any excuses.
3: I I agree with that. Here's what my thought process was heading into these final 18, and that... that counted the Cardinals playing 500 against the Brewers. I think if you go 7 and 1 against Pittsburgh and Kansas City, you're in with no problem at all and 6 and 2 probably would do it against those teams if you wind up playing 5 and 5 against the Brewers.
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure they need to do that. Well, I mean, you know, what they they have a game and a half lead. It depends what Cincinnati does. They've never they've not gotten going offensively some other teams that are chasing. So, you know, it could, you know, that would certainly I think lock them into the playoffs, but with eighteens, teams, I mean, there's going to be probably a team under 500 who makes it or right at 500. So it's really not that hard this year. You know, the the, the bigger question is, are you a, a legitimate, you know, World Series contender? And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, I think anybody could be. So just sit back and enjoy it. It's, it's not typical, but there's a lot of fun aspects to this stuff.
3: Yeah, it's going to be quite a ride. Mark, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, you guys, take care of yourselves. You too. That's Mark Saxon from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. By the way, Michelle, with 13 days left in the season, the Dodgers have played 49 games. They have 11 left. The Cardinals have played 43 games. So they have 16 left, 11 for the Dodgers and 16 for the Cardinals in the final 13 days of the season. Wow. Without Ah. a bullpen.
9: Without a bullpen. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be tough. Buckle Uh, up, Randy. Yeah,
3: and... At 21 and 22 now, the Cardinals' percentage points behind the Giants, even though they're second in the division, and we mentioned earlier, they have a half-game lead over the Reds, a one-game lead over the Brewers. The Giants have a better record, and the Phillies now have a better record than the Cardinals, let alone the Marlins, who are 2 over five hundred. Coming up next on Carriker and Smallman, we're going to cross things over with the voice of the Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac, coming your way on 101 ESPN. We've got scoops with Danny Mac coming up in just a moment here on uh, 101 ESPN. And uh, Dan, as we said a lot of times back in the old football days, it
5: wasn't pretty. <laughs> we say that every Sunday, I think, when we were doing, we do. uh, yeah, wasn't pretty, Randy. <laughs> That's how we would start our my report from whatever
3: outpost from the NFL I was at, whether it was Green Bay or Denver or New Orleans and the
5: Rams. Pretty had much lost. every yeah. NFL Sunday. Yeah, pretty much, and Dan had throw it to me and say Randy it wasn't pretty wasn't pretty and <laughs> last night it wasn't pretty
4: every NFL Sunday Thursday Monday yeah for <laughs> a long time yeah. here
5: it was uh it wasn't good last night that was a kind of a football score too it was are you concerned like many fans are about sure. Jack Flaherty yeah uh you needed a good start out of Jack he has not been the ace that uh you wanted him to be this year it, it's it's not been his year. It's been Adam Wainwright's year. He is the ace of the team. And it just seems like any time that uh, the Cardinals need to have that start uh, when the, the proverbial back is against the wall and when the, the team needs to have a, a big start, it just seems to fall on his day. And this mm-hmm. is one of those days where they need to have somebody come through. And, um, yes, it is a doubleheader, but they need to at least get a split and need, you know, need a win, and, and he's... Old number fifty's got uh, one of those games today.
4: Uncle Charlie, absolutely. Yeah. But you're not concerned about Flaherty from a physical or a stuff no. standpoint at all?
5: No, he just wasn't good. Just baseball? I guess, but he wasn't good. <laughs> he wasn't good at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to me, that was just it's one of those days. And well, guess, he's had a lot
3: of those this year. He hasn't been very good. But he's also been limited. Uh, I, I think he's been he hasn't been afforded the opportunity sometimes to work out. He hasn't been what he was last year, certainly.
5: Well, I, I but, well, here's is. one of the things, though, is that the Brewers have had his number, too. Oh, now, yeah. i, I got to wonder early on, I've, I've got to wonder if the Brewers have a tell on him. That's one of the things I do wonder about is, because is, his numbers have not been good against Milwaukee, so do they have a, is he tipping against, do they have something with him, because he he's not been good against Milwaukee, and... Right. Yelich was very comfortable against him. Braun has got really good career numbers against him. He gave up back-to-back home runs against him. And I thought Jim Edmonds made a great point. He said, you know, he's not getting in on the right-handers initially with his fastball, and he said his curveball is basically the same spot. His breaking ball is the same spot, and when it's in the same spot, they're going to hit it. And he wasn't good last night. And I, I do think that we have put... Jack at such a high pedestal in terms of where he was at the second half of last season. Mm-hmm. We expect this greatness every single time out he's still such a young guy there there's a learning curve there, and he you know he he's been okay at times this year i don't think he's clearly been to the level that he was last year, but last night he wasn't good no and it's interesting because I was looking at the stat cast numbers, which are actually better this year than last year
3: so the, what the Cardinals will look at and go to him and say, despite what happened last night is you just. From that perspective, keep doing what you're doing, but you have to command,
5: and you, you have. But if to... you're the ace of the staff, yeah. If you're the if you're the ace of the staff, he's not the ace of the staff this year. That's no, he's Adam not. Wainwright, right? But if you're expected to be the guy, last night is that kind of game where you need to be good, and you're talking about a doubleheader today. You're talking about a doubleheader over the weekend, and you're talking about a quote unquote pennant race in a sixty game season. He's got to be better. Right. And I am looking more big picture. There's no question that... And he would say that, too.
3: Yeah. And, And I think Mike Schilt probably would, too, right? Yeah. But absolutely, when you look at a game that you... And last night was a game that you had to have, because I just said to Mark Saxon, and I think you'll agree with me, Danny, it's the Cardinals need to play 500 against the Brewers here and then clean up against Pittsburgh yep. and Kansas City. If you go 5-5 five
5: and five against the Brewers and clean up against those two, you're in the playoffs. Well, if you go 5-5 five and five on the trip and then go into the weekend or the five-game series with Milwaukee, mm-hmm. then you got a shot. Right. So, okay, you're you're 1-2 now in the series. You're okay. Hey, you're going to have games like that. Jack Flaherty's going to have games like that. Adam Wainwright might have a game like that today. Hopefully Hope not, not because your bullpen is in shambles right now I mean you're, you need innings I say shambles I mean Chris oh, Matt really saved you yeah. with his innings at the end of the game yesterday I would thank you you've got Miller available today you probably could squeeze an inning or two out of Cabrera mm-hmm. and Reyes um, help me out here guys I mean there's some other pitchers out Helsley could, could give you some innings or an Webb inning again. Webb, you could go back with but you know they're on fumes I mean yeah. the bottom line is they're on fumes but to the bigger point with Jack, I just I wanted to see some more innings out of him. You just wanted a length out of it. But it, Jack's gonna be okay. He's still a young guy, but he, man, I just wanted to see more out of him last night. I wonder if Gant might be available. Mike Shields said it was a one to three day situation for Gant. Yeah, so you got gotta wonder about that. We don't know about Wong. That's another thing. That's another issue that they've got right now. two-man
3: bench is no way to go for a manager.
5: And they're going in. That was a thing, too. I mean, you're you're dealing with what is a three-man bench right now. I mean, they were really – a lot has been made of the the Yachty situation last night, and I get it. Um, But he stayed in the game, and I think, you know, Mike and Yachty realized that he stayed in the game. This guy's been beat up so many times that he stayed in the game because – he kind of had to. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he was okay to stay in the game, how many times have we seen him take one off the head or the shoulder or the leg? Well, this one just happened to be the arm on something that you rarely see, catcher's interference with Yachty. He stays in the game because you needed him to. If you put Wheaters in the game, your bench is done. Yeah, You're completely out of players. Out of players. What happens if Matt Wheaters goes down? If he came in the game midway through and Wheaters gets hit and goes down, who goes to, Who goes behind the plate? Edmund? No, DeYoung. I'm not putting DeYoung back there. He used to be a catcher. I don't care. Edmund? I'm not putting him back there. Ravello, Maybe. <laughs> I'm coming up with names yeah. now. I know, but I, I, mean, I understand your that. thought process is right, but I'm not doing that. I mean, I, I literally was thinking that if Chris Mack could not go out for that final inning, I would have put a pitcher in the outfield and just said, I don't care what is going on. Mm-hmm. Don't move. Don't throw the ball back in. Flip it to your center fielder. He'll fire it back in or whatever. Or if you have to, lob it in. Wayno would have loved that. I'm not putting Wayno out there. He would want to be a baseball player, I don't player, care. Though. He's already had a torn Achilles. I I'm not putting about him about out had, there. it happened in Milwaukee, too. That's right. But he would enjoy it. He would volunteer for it. Of course he would. All those guys would love to do it. But I'm not doing that. Okay. What pitcher are you putting out there? Uh, let's see. I had... We're going to learn a lot here. Seth Elledge. Okay. No disrespect to Seth Elledge. I'm sure he'll have a fine Major League career, but you're at the bottom of the totem pole on that one. We can... uh, One day we'll ask... We'll get you, man, in here to talk about... The Okendo game that was great.
3: Four innings, yeah. And you you had Brunanski and Jose De Leon in the outfield, right? Right-handed hitter would come up, and they'd move. They, they'd assume he's just going to be a against Okendo a pull hitter. So Bruno would move to left, and De Leon would move to right, and left-handed hitter would come up, and they'd reverse. Yeah. And it got to the point where because those two played for like three or four innings, you had to go. Bernanski to left, Daly on the right, and then the next day <laughs> right. Daly on the left,
5: Bernanski to right. <laughs> right there he is. <laughs> I remember when they would do uh, what Daly would go to, and Worrell would remember they yeah, would do that a that little bit great. too. That was great managing by Whitey. But you'd have to be creative, right? Uh, you know, I, I just I think you, you you had to look at being a little creative last night just to say to save yourself for this weekend yeah. because you're you're running out of. You're running out of arms. You got 13 days left too. You're running out of runway. Yeah. So you, you have to preserve that pitching for the last 13 days, and hopefully for the playoffs. And uh, looking at this, I, I I don't know, man. I I think you got to look at bringing up Carlson mm-hmm. or Justin Williams because Lane Thomas does not look right, offensively or defensively. No, he's he's timid, in my opinion. Yeah. He he looks timid. Something's going on there. Um I don't care what it is. Give me a spark. Give me something. Agreed. You looking forward to getting your city tickets here in the next hour? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Go Get city. Those t- I- I'm really curious to find out how many people jump on those tickets i bet it's going to be monster numbers for those i think so too
3: don't you michelle will way have way more tickets will be requested than are available
4: absolutely well we had edmund elzy on the show today yeah. and he talked about how they put out something yesterday and twenty thousand people engaged with it imme- immediately so it's going to be tens I mean, yeah. of thousands of people
5: Well, site this hope. morning it won't
4: let's
3: hope no not.
5: they're prepared i would hope it's the best sports city in america they know what people they've got are fired coming. up for that man yeah um what is it, 2023, they fired yes, up. Yeah. yeah. The stadium then should be fully ready to roll because of the delay. So, yeah. As yeah, Bart Scott would say, can't wait. Yep. Yeah. Bart it's Scott. Right
4: now, 10 o'clock. They open right now. So it opened right now. Yeah, right now.
5: Good. Who do we got coming up on? You know that. Oh, yeah. we don't need to go, who do you have right now? You know who's coming up, This week is going so fast for me. I can't believe that we're past hump day. That's because (laughs) you had vacation and you're rested and it's not that big a deal. Other people are grinding through, like Scott, who got a haircut. Mm -hmm. He looks like he should be headed to the military.
9: Is that a compliment?
5: Yes, it is. No, I said thank, it was, you, it was, thank you, Dan. Well, you're searching for a compliment because I said during the break, I said I liked your haircut. I know. I just wanted to hear you say it on the air. Okay. It
9: makes me
5: feel better. I'm fired up right. this morning. You got a doubleheader
3: today? Yeah. Okay, go cards. Yeah. See it on FS Midwest. 410? Uh, 330, 330, 330 pre- pre- 30 pregame, game. You know that. I know, but I'm just 410 first
5: pitch, so we hear Dan and Jimmy. I think, Jimmy. <laughs> okay. I'd show up, and whoever's next to me, I'd say, hey, what's going, going? on? All right. <clears throat> I'll be tuned in. I'll, I'll guarantee you that I'll be tuned in. I don't in. think you sent me a text yesterday, yes, did Yes, I did.
3: Over what? Uh, let's see. I can go back. I know that I sent you a text.
5: Before. I don't think you did. Uh, I get a lot of text messages during these games, and I don't think you sent me one. I don't think I'm important anymore. Michelle didn't oh, yeah, send you me said, one. You,
3: uh, I, when we were talking about a position player... I've pointed out to you that the Red Sox once had a shortstop prospect <laughs> named Carlos Macias. That's correct. They did. As it turned out, his real name was Carlos, Carlos Martinez. Martinez. But he could have played him at short last night.
5: Mm-hmm. Plugged him in there. Um, yeah, that could have happened. So that's what it was. We were talking. So you, but we, you didn't like my idea of putting a pitcher in the outfield.
3: No, I'm cool with that. I just, I, I didn't know who to put out there. No, I'm, I'm, Totally cool with that, but the problem was when they didn't have any position players left. The, the thought process is great.
5: The roster construction for doing that last night was horrible. So, do you think you bring up Schrock? Yeah, so, he can so, pitch. So Wong is in. No, I mean Wong. Oh yeah. If you, if he's IL'd, Wong is there. Yeah. Have you seen enough of Thomas right now just to get a spark? Do you bring up Williams or Carlson or I whatever. I So Williams there. is on the taxi squad right now, so yeah. he could be activated right now. Come on. And you know what? Fernan- Junior Fernandez, by the way, is a, well it could be active, but you got Olvio though is your is got to be activated for your twenty ninth man, right? But it just struck me
3: that uh, Chris Matt has a mild hamstring, and he has to
5: go on the IL. Definitely a mild hamstring, yeah, no doubt about it, yeah. <laughs> It looked like he was limping a little bit, didn't it? it? Did, yeah, he, he was, was just leaving leaving the field. Very sore there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got to <laughs> make those moves, Randy. <laughs> Have a great day. All right, thanks, guys.
3: Uh, Scotty, thanks. Great job by our producer-engineer, Scott Manziar, wearing his 101 ESPN Blues shirt. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. This was fun. Thanks,
4: Randy. I'm wearing my Stan usual shirt oh, Stan
3: here from Arch Apparel, yeah. yeah. Have you uh, ever publicly pointed out your thought process in purchasing shirts? No. Teams that don't exist and players that are never going to be traded.
4: Just shirts in general? Yeah. Uh, No, I only buy gear, if it's not for a team here that Mm -hmm. we support, from teams that are no longer in existence. It's good. Hartford Whalers, football Cardinals here in St. Louis. Spirits of St. Louis. Spirits of St. Louis, Seattle Sonics, Mm -hmm. things of that nature.
3: I like it. And a stay in the Man Museum shirt today. We appreciate everybody tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis.
1: That was the Carriker and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.